Let's see if I can get this rock. Yes, it is true. I know it's been a while since I've been able to talk to you all, but I, uh, I've been underground in a hole for the last three plus weeks. So hang on to your hats and uh, let's go. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. Airline Pilot Guy. We're back with Airline Pilot Guy episode 447. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of November, 2020. In today's episode, an Airbus has trouble taking off outside London because too many passengers sat up front. Air Force settles a lawsuit after accidentally killing a contractor during target practice. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Orphid Nest. It all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, Flight 447 is now ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, New York City. New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot and a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South Kakalaki, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, it's Dr. Steph. So many things. Hey, it's really good to be back and see you guys. This is exciting. Glad to be here for whatever Um, show number this is. Whatever, yeah, 447, I think. Excellent. Weren't you listening to uh, Radio Roger? Um, Yes. Yes, of course we were. It was a bit hard to hear him. He was lying on the ground. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) And uh, that voice that you heard, well, we're going to hear from him in a minute. But first, we're going to hear from another guy from his mobile studio in Covington, Kentucky. Is that right? Kentucky. Yes. A world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It is Miami Rick. I wear many hats, and I'm happy to be back. Happy to see everybody on board here. How'd you going? Excellent. And also joining us from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. 
Uh, hi, Jeff, uh, and everybody. I'm a bit confused. Uh, Steph is normally at the top of the list, but uh, there's obviously some trick this week. Lovely to be back on the show. Okay. I thought I already No, got... Nick, is, Nick is the only one that worries about the order on the screen. <laughs> I'm very rank conscious. <laughs> now, it's the military. Well, you are pretty rank, that's for sure. It, that, yeah. um, so what are we concerned about? The uh, placement of the of the photos or the images? The yeah, videos? yeah. Well, oh, everything. Okay. But, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I did uh, <laughs> everything. Everything's concerning. I'm pretty sure I introduced. have concerns. Didn't I introduce uh, stuff first? You did. Okay. Yeah, you did. All right. Oh, I must have missed that. <laughs> you must have blacked out. I was opening my beer. That was what was happening. <laughs> it takes a so lot of concentration. Priorities. Yeah. Priorities. There you go. Yeah. So well, I can only do one thing at a time. I'm a man. <laughs> so Nick mentioned something about our wonderful uh, announcer, official APG announcer, uh, but more importantly, he is a radio reporter for a big uh, radio outfit up there in uh, the nation's largest media outlet, which is New York City. He was covering a uh, protest march uh, just, I think, yesterday or maybe it was last night. Thank you, uh, Liz. And uh, he uh, actually got involved. And when I say involved, I don't mean in a good way. Uh, They uh, were kind of pushing back the protesters and he was amongst the protesters and he got knocked over and trampled by uh, one of the uh, uh, policemen on um, one of the bike riding policemen. But I don't think they were riding the bike at the time, but uh, they, they got him up off the ground and dusted him off. And he says that he is okay. So uh, sorry to hear about the uh, hmm. altercation, um, radio. Roger, I hope you're doing okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, stay safe. Yeah, how much are you suing Please. them for? I don't know. We'll we'll have to find that out. In the <laughs> Do we get a cut? No. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know he he's probably going to make enough that he won't have to get. He'll do this APG intro oh, gig anymore. Right about <laughs> uh oh. How much are we paying? Well, even after that <laughs> pay rise. Same you're getting stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Fair enough. Be recording the interest from the Grand Cayman Islands. Going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what we should do. We should probably get on to the news. What do you think? I like it. Go for it. Stand by for news. This is troubling. Avianca A320 at Pasto on October 27th, 2020. Hard landing and go around. Uh, or as another um, newspaper headline says, an Avianca, uh, Avianca A320-200 refuses to land at Pasto's <laughs> yeah. runway 20. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. It I refuses. Fly. I want to fly. <laughs> Don't make me. Not going to do my it. feet around. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was going to do this a little bit differently, but I've already, uh, I've, I've gotten past that now. I was going to pretend that this video that Liz is going to play uh, would was my uh, first attempted landing in the 717. Go ahead, Liz, if you'll play that uh, just video. A sec. Whoop, okay. Whoop. Sorry, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yep. There's so much stuff. Yeah, there are a oh, lot of overlays there. Uh, okay, here it comes. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, now if we all want to talk, we can unmute ourselves. It automatically muted everybody. Um, I think the winglets would have given it away, Jeff. Well, I mean, not everybody is as sharp as you are and observant as you are, Nick. There are plenty that are better. (laughs) They're coming in over the threshold. Oh, yep. It was my landing. Ow. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there they go again. Look at the terrain around there. In a minute, you'll see, oh, or yeah, a second, a couple seconds, you'll gnarly. see it really drops off. And I don't know, Rick, have you flown into this, this place? Not as not not me flying it as, as a pilot. I've been uh -huh. there, and it's uh, it's pretty gnarly impression. Wow! I went when I was a kid back in the DC nine, I think it was. Huh. And uh, you know, one of those uh, mountainous, high density altitude airports, and uh, not a lot of room for air. I think there was something something with the runway as well, where uh, uh, runway was coming apart or something. It's a very and hard runway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's a hard surface. I mean, morally, morally coming apart. <laughs> Okay. So, um, yeah, so after landings like that, uh, it's not a, um, <laughs> not a wonder at all why it's coming apart. Um, yeah. So uh, let's see. This is, uh, we'll read the uh, uh, narrative from the uh, Aviation Herald from Simon Ratke. Um, an Avianca Airbus A320-200 registration November 281 uh, AV. Performing flight 8597 from Bogota. Uh, to am I pronouncing that right? Pasto or is it pasto? No, pasto. That's pasto. Right. It's okay. pasto. It tastes very nice. Yeah, I, I was thinking it mm -hmm. sounds like pasta. <laughs> Landed on Pasto's cool runway two zero, but rejected landing and climbed out again, leveling off at flight level twelve or one two zero. Huh? No. I just said rejected. Sorry. Oh, okay. I thought I heard somebody whispering something. I'm thinking, did I screw up again? Um, yeah, probably. Um, let's see. Before positioning for another approach to runway two, the runway uh, the aircraft landed on runway zero two about twenty five minutes after the Bach landing. Now, I, usually in the Aviation Herald, they'll put the uh, METAR so we can kind of see what the weather was like. And now, obviously, from the video, it's nice and clear, at least you know below the, the ceiling. Uh, but it doesn't say anything at all about winds because you know, that data is not in the report here, but mm. I thought it was kind of odd that they first tried to land on runway two zero, and then they came back around and landed on zero two. And I'm wondering if that had anything to do with the hard landing to begin with, you know, high altitude. Uh, maybe, tailwind. maybe it was a, it, maybe it was a, a straight crosswind perhaps. Uh, yeah, it could be. Maybe they thought. Oh, I don't want to try to touch down on that area that I just broke up the concrete or the asphalt, so I'll land in the other direction. <laughs> I don't exactly. know. But, um, but uh, I'm trying to see here the uh, airport elevation here. Uh, pretty high. Um, uh, let's see the... 50, uh, it's a runways at 5841, so almost uh, 5,900 feet. That's pretty high. That's high. It's pretty high. But I tell you, one of the things, I mean, and I know we, we've done this over and over and over again, but the whole Boeing versus Airbus, that, I mean, I've never flown an Airbus, and I intend to keep it that way. Um, the beauty of, uh, of, hey, of having... You're thinking of retiring, Wow. Touche. The beauty of, of, of uh, at least what I'm used to, you know, just, just having that control of the thrust, because when you, when you get very, very close to landing, it actually happened to me the other day where you get a gust of wind or a sudden change of wind i feel like by by bringing the engine spool the usually are short final and you feel the kind of the 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 rug pulled out from underneath you you just kind of, you know bump the power up a little bit and you kind of rest that descent rate versus um having the uh well, at least when you're flying when, when you're flying with um, uh, with uh with the um thrust and the climb detent i guess the, the ground speed mini Maintains your uh, your uh, your thrust all the way to touchdown, Nick. And well, uh, can, you, can you can you can you uh, can you back. can you 
Right, but can you can you bump the power a little bit if you feel like like you're well, like you're sinking? Well, it'd be or? unwise to do it with the auto thrust engaged. But there's nothing to stop you disengaging the auto thrust uh, and uh, using manual throttles, and nothing at all. Trouble is, uh, if you if you bump the throttles with auto thrust in from the climb detent, as soon as you leave the climb de detent, the auto thrust will disengage, and the mm. engines will go to where the throttles are which at the climb detent is pretty powerful. So you won't get a little bit of thrust. The engines will go from close to idle, which is what they would normally be on the approach, uh, right. up to climb power, and you're going to get That's a huge power, right? boot full of power. So if you're going to do that, first thing you do is pull the throttles back and then disengage the auto thrust and then start motoring them from there if you're on the so approach. you have to so you have to get them out of the climb detent bring them back and then push them forward i mean that's yeah uh, you, you you pull them back until the little circles that are on the thrust uh, gauges match mm -hmm. what the current thrust is so there'll be no change to the thrust when you disengage the auto thrust it only takes a, a millisecond to do that whack them back till the needle and the the uh, little donut symbol are matched then press the red button and they disengage and the, from then on you've got manual thrust so but you have the to do this description of how you do it whack them back <laughs> whack them yeah. yeah whack them back but i mean clearly you'd have to do this uh with 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 a bit of anticipation because you find yourself doing this uh uh short in a very short final it, uh yeah it, it, I, I don't it's think not be, really uh, recommended you know? to uh mess with the thrust levers if you've exactly. got all the thrust in in the flare you've kind of left it a bit late there if you don't like the way the auto thrust is handling the approach do it preferably at about a thousand feet mm -hmm. to stop you doing it lower but gives you a chance to make sure just in case you don't you, you know you put in slightly too much thrust when you disengage it you don't completely destabilize the approach uh, right so. right okay you, you get to you get to the latter stages of the approach really and and uh, you, you really are just flying a um um a sword uh, you know quasi you know on speed aoa type approach where you are now controlling uh, rated descent with thrust and speed with pitch, and so at least that's how I do it. You know, I I uh, I set the uh, I I draw an imaginary line across my windshield there and put that where I want to, uh, the touchdown to be, and uh, that's that's going to maintain my 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 pitch attitude, and then uh, my uh, rate of descent. Uh, is controlled with power, and so I mean, wait by disconnecting the autopilot and disconnect the autothrottle. Now I have to control the aircraft, maintain my pitch, and control my synchro with power. And so feel like the bond falling out, bump the power up, and since the engine already spooled up, uh, it 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 reduces that synchro. And so it, and it, it's happened to me where where I remember one time at the old Quito airport, I literally landed with full power because i felt the airplane just falling out of the sky and uh you know as soon as we touched down i brought it back and went to reverse thrust in the whole nine yards but uh it, it fe at least it feels nice to me to know that that i have that manual control of the thrust and i i, I feel like i can react a lot faster you can feel you can feel when the airplane drops even before the vertical speed indicator uh, shows any change at all and so you're able to immediately uh, respond to that and react accordingly but uh I have uh, no doubt, you know, just, just uh, preferences. Rick, if you started flying Airbus, you would be one of the guys that generally does a manual thrust approach. A lot of guys do. They they prefer it yeah. that way. Nothing to stop anyone doing it. Mm -hmm. A lot no. of other people. I, I, I'd also carry around a, a, a mock yoke and install it uh, for all time's <laughs> sake. 
you can actually buy one. Yeah, you know, just so that out. Uh, yeah, and hangs uh, out. Just kind of like extends over a little bit, table. so you can. Yeah. 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 The, the guys exactly. who's flying with her go. Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, that doesn't work. It's a stick over there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, it does. Watch. <laughs> or you could connect it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think you could just you know like attaches and then comes over a little bit and you know probably not officially transmit all those same by Airbus. No, but yeah. You know. So I'm looking at the pictures of I was the damage, just mention Jeff. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, that's the tailplane elevator, is it? I think so. Because it so looked like the wings were pretty level and well above the runway. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's made a bit of a mess, hasn't he? Uh, quite, I, I, isn't, isn't that from the? Isn't that from the from the asphalt that uh, that? Uh, from the runway and hit the stabilizer. I believe Could that's uh, I believe like that's back up. Yeah, because yeah. that I believe that's what it was. You think oh. that is? Um, wow, that's that runway's in not very good condition. Oh yeah, then, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it says uh, that, but wow, that's yeah. That's so uh, over there, they're not uh, very familiar with the uh, concept of a uh, pavement classification number. Apparently, no. Um, oh, so, was that uh, the following day event? There was another local sources report asphalt surface. Is crumbling and detaching. See also the event the following day, a runway strike. So there back. was. So, so there were. There were. There were two. Yeah, you're right. There. There were two events. This is one. There was another one uh, the following day. Now that I remember. Now I, I. I'm. Wow. I'm thinking that the photos that we we're seeing, and they'll, they'll be in the show notes if you're listening. Um. Anybody out there listening? Um. No. And uh, no. <laughs> just the. Just the four <laughs> just of us. A, just, just the four <laughs> of us. <laughs> um, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, and five. Uh, Liz just made made clear that she's there as well. Um, oh, nice. Anyway, um, I'm uh, I'm thinking that the uh, the photos here are from the the one the first event with the uh, the. Air- I, I understand now why the airplane was refusing to land because it's just not a mm-hmm. a wonderful runway to land on. Actually, mm-hmm. they're in the link for the incident the following day. Oh, it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Never mind then. Just That's keeping the us above day. that fifty percent. Well, it's always important to keep us above fifty percent. All right. Anything but else to wasn't say? Wasn't there something about the aircraft was damaged, but they didn't notice until the end of the next sector? Mm-hmm. So yes. I'm just wondering what the hell the crew were doing with their walk around. You don't only have to do a walk around every other flight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly not when you've landed on a crumbly old runway. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, the captain no, said, no. hey, just don't worry about it. It's fine. No, no. Don't. We want to get out of here. Yeah. Let's ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> You just gotta just gotta modify the drag fuel factor on the FMC there for, uh, to account yeah. for the uh, less aerodynamic stabilizer there. It's revealed Airbus's secret um, manufacturing technique for the tailplane. No, you mean cardboard? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> going to say he looks black, <laughs> black cardboard. Also <laughs> wood. Also wood. Yeah, Liz, wood. come on now. It's <laughs> a nice light material. Actually, balsa wood is uh, probably less offensive than cardboard, so good mm. going, Liz. Yeah. Okay, well, that's enough of that. Um, we spent way too much time on that one. <laughs> uh, moving on here to uh, item B. Uh, this was uh, sent in by Ralph Walker and Stuart Thompson, and Stuart says, Mind you, this is Luton, home of a famous low-budget airline where most of the passengers are usually drunk before leaving the departure lounge. <laughs> On the way to Ibiza. Uh, perhaps the weight of their duty-free hadn't been correctly configured. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, uh, that's kind of unfair, I think. Maybe accurate, but unfair. Uh, the A320 Airbus was changed to an A321. 
I guess the the flight operating was uh, they swapped out of an A320 for an A321, but the passenger configuration was not changed. A report finds a communication error meant too many passengers at the front of the plane caused takeoff issues for the pilot. Error investigators found. And uh, it meant that the passenger seating plan was not adjusted to the bigger airplane. The Air Accident Investigations Branch, AAIB, said it landed safely and the operator had since taken action. Uh, the, a- the overlays? Uh, well, not yet, uh, Liz. I'll let okay. you know when it's time okay. for that. Yep. Um, the Air Accident Investigations Branch, I just read that paragraph. Uh, the Operational Control Center, OCC, in Budapest, uh, Hungary, or Budapest, uh, sent an automated message to the operational handing, handling department and passengers service passenger services department at Luton, but due to a technical issue, it was not received. This was noticed at the 1405 GMT, and the OCC duty manager called the OHD to let them know of the change. Um, so uh, now, once you show the first one, Liz, uh, this is the uh, load sheet or the um, envelope um, the data showing the uh, safe envelope for loading and uh, the cg um, uh, envelope or where the cg should fall and the flight cg envelope and the cg with no fuel on board the zero fuel weight and this is what the pilot saw and i don't know about you guys but it looks good to me looks like everything is where it's supposed to be in the uh, flight envelope envelope but show the next one, Liz. Yeah, that one is actually where all of the data points were. And you'll notice uh, oh, the red lines. They're not pointing. even on the sheet. No, they're not even on the sheet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they had to get another piece of paper. Tape it next to that one. Into the Completely falling off the graph there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so the, you know, the, the stab trim was not set properly for takeoff, etc. And so they're rolling down the runway, and uh, let's see. I'm trying to find a good place to start with the, uh, the narrative. Um, let's see. Uh, I should have highlighted that. Uh, it's, it's a little bit farther. It's in like why, don't you, next, why don't you read the narrative where we should sure, start? Sure, I can do that, yeah. Okay. Um, so they were accelerating for takeoff. Um, and the first officer, pilot flying, initiated rotation for takeoff at VR. The aircraft, however, did not respond. The first officer pulled the stick to nearly full aft. The aircraft still did not respond, so the captain applied toga thrust, at which point the aircraft began to rotate, lift it off, and climbed out safely. The aircraft subsequently continued to the destination without further incident. Yikes. So, Yikes. yeah. They must have been at that point where it was too late to reject the takeoff. And... They had to try to do whatever they had to do to get the thing flying. Luckily, the captain thought, okay, I'll just add some more power and maybe that will take care of things. And it did. Um, they took off and uh, they didn't raise the landing gear until about 5,000 feet because I'm sure they were all still shaking oh, from God. that incident. Uh, <laughs> like, uh... Yeah. Uh, and wondering what the heck just happened. And uh, so that's when they started doing the investigation of, okay, What's going on here? They asked the uh, cabin crew to look at the cabin, and they said, "Yeah, everybody's sitting in the front. <laughs> Nobody really." So they to... took basically the seating for the A three twenty and didn't change anyone's seat assignments. Right. So just put them on a twenty one, which is larger. longer. Mm-hmm. Yep, aircraft longer armament. So no one's sitting so, in the in the back. Does that does that not raise any alarms or, or d- d- like the the, the cabin? I'm not, I'm not not you know casting aspersions here mm-hmm. at all, but I'm just saying the cabin crew's not asking questions like you know what why the hell is everybody sitting up here? It's right. Just, you know, well, 
Oh. Yeah, well, you'd have hoped, wouldn't you? Because they've got a distribution here of the uh, where the passengers should have been in the four zones, uh, 36, 32, 48, 42. They should have been mm. evenly distributed throughout the aircraft. Uh, and the fact that there was an entire section of the aircraft that was empty, but I thought would have cr created a few question marks. But Absolutely. then again, the cabin crew aren't really trained to worry about such things. But someone, you'd have thought someone would have gone, well, that's a bit odd. I'll just have a word with the captain. Oh, oh I don't like that bloke, so I don't think I'll do that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. And it's one of those things where, it's one of those things where, where, uh, where you know, acceleration would normal because it's not like you're overweight. It's just a no. matter of the distribution of that weight along the, you know, yeah, in, in relationship to that center yeah. of gravity. Exactly. So, um, I'm just, just, it was, you know, great presence of mind by the skipper to, uh, bump that tower and get, uh, get airborne yeah. there because, and clearly if, if, if the road of the, uh, the FO wanted to rotate, they're past the V1, uh, V1 point, which means that, uh, you, you gotta go. Sure. There's mm -hmm. not enough runway to stop. So, um, that, I must that, admit, that I, the, this is one of the scenarios I used to spin through my mind occasionally, and I used to say, think if I had problems getting the nose off, the first thing I'd do is grab the trim wheel, just give myself a couple of turns on the trim wheel, because that's a pretty powerful uh, control, and uh, it's going to get you off the ground, it, you know? Yeah. But uh, he, yeah. Toga does give you a nose-up pitch, but it's not as dramatic, that's for sure. Well, yeah. they can't yeah. be as yeah. good as you, Nick. <laughs> and that's the interesting thing here. I mean, when when you when you um, as as part of as part of your of your pre-test procedure, uh, and, and this changes from airline to airline, really. But it's 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 overall it's all the same. Um, as soon as you as soon as set uh, you turn hydraulic power on, uh, one of the things that you do is you set that uh, that horizontal stabilizer trim, and um, you do that for this for this very reason because of a a, a uh, the way the weight is distributed along that uh, the, the the length of the aircraft uh, has to be um, uh, so uh, what's the word here um, mm, counteracted by yeah balance counteracted by by the horizontal stabilizer which 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 uh, creates that negative lift and um, at least in the airplanes that I've flown uh, the trim that you set on takeoff uh, basically gives you uh, V two to V two plus fifteen which is your uh, um, uh, uh, engine out, uh, engine out safety speed. So you're basically trimmed for that. Uh, but yeah, as 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 uh, Captain Nick says, um, the horizontal stabilizer is a very very powerful um, flight control surface because unlike the elevator, which is you're just only you're actuating the uh, the the aft portion of the vertical stabilizer of the horizontal stabilizer, the stabilizer itself is the elevator. And the uh, the wing platform of the stabilizer itself. So if you if if you trim and you try to rotate with that, it's uh, it is going to get you off the ground. Add to that the bump and thrust, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, you should you should be okay. But uh, you, I mean, it, it should never get to this point ever. No. So now, funnily enough, in my outfit, I don't know about how Acme works. It um, the guy who. Uh, comes on and gives load sheet figures, etc. Is the same person who actually does all the loading of the physical loading of the aircraft. So uh, the fact that you've got like two different agencies here doing one doing the load sheet and one not communicating and doing this um, means to me that perhaps that ought to be integrated better because um, you know for us it was the same guy. You know he would have the load plan and he would have the load sheet. 
uh, it was calculated uh, by a, you know a different agency, but he had it in his hand to look at, and he would be walking in and out of the aircraft, check physically. In fact, we have one upstairs and one downstairs to speed things up, uh, and that would be a m much better way because he would obviously have seen the fact that his load sheet said there would be all these passengers in the back and there were none there, so that would have raised alarm bells. Yeah, we don't. And also, I mean, it, it would. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Rick. No, I, I was going to say that it, it, it would also, you know, as 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 a pilot. Um, I mean, we, I mean, we we can all learn from this, and um, uh, it's 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 also, uh, I guess, beneficial to kind of familiarize yourself with what kind of takeoff stabilizer trim setting would go to a particular. Uh, CG location range. So I know, I mean, I've, I, I, I kind of know that anything around, so, and really your, your center of gravity, as, as we're talking about this for, for, for people that are not really versed in the center of gravity really is the, the, the location along the, uh, the aircraft where the, uh, the weight is concentrated. And now that center of gravity moves within what's called the CG range, a forward range and an aft range, right? And uh, as long as that center of gravity is within that range, and you're safe for flight, um, I know that a, say for example, uh, uh, a center of gravity of 22%, uh, and 22% of the mean aerodynamic core, which is basically in simple terms, the core of the wing, right? Right. So, if if the CG is at twenty two percent, I can expect a stabilizer trim setting of about three and a half to four units. So, if I I kind of familiarize myself with what would make sense of that, if I get a number and a trim setting that make no sense, it makes me scrutinize the figure and 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 and, and dig a little deeper and find what what the heck is going on. So, uh, I, I I wonder, Nick, as, as I mean, you've flown Airbuses. Um, the uh so when you set the trim you're actually physically moving the trim wheel and then there's got to be an index there right and and uh, you you kind of have to get familiar with what kind of uh, uh trim setting would go with a specific uh cg uh, position or, or or not really yeah absolutely in fact uh, it's a, it's a set um <laughs> limit uh, and you can uh, work out your trim setting just by looking at the cfg and the aircraft will calculate its own cfg so if the mm -hmm. if the um, the seat, if the load sheet is looking a bit funny, you can look mm -hmm. at the see what the aircraft thinks, uh, and go. Well, hang on a minute, the, the aircraft giving me something really weird here. So, you know, uh, the aircraft sometimes doesn't know what's going on, mind you. It relies on data being fed in, but you know. Really right, and really and not only that, it it also. I mean, uh, at least in Boeing's, it uh, it. it one of the one of the aspects or one of the components that's that's critical to the aircraft calculating its own CG based on weight is the uh, the the weight on wheel switch on the on the on the nose uh, the nose strut. Um, so uh, if 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 that uh, signal into the system is not working properly, then the aircraft's unable to figure that out, or or it might spit out an erroneous number. So, um, but yeah, just, this stuff is just just really really interesting. Yeah, I would. I would get to that point. That um, those graphics that we showed with the uh, the sheets of paper and the um, flight envelope and the data points and all that kind of stuff, we don't see any of that at Acme. Uh, we're just given the data from our load um, planning department. They receive information from 
uh, all the rampers and the loading of cargo, and then they send that in via their little computer devices. The gate agent sends in the passenger data, and I'm not sure if it's a distribution of the passengers' positions. I'm not sure how that all works, but they send in that piece of data, goes to the load load department in some building somewhere, and then it cranks out the data, and it's sent to us via our, our ACARS um, computer. And mm-hmm. so the only thing in this particular instance that would have saved us from encountering that same um, the same event is the one of the cabin crew saying, that's kind of odd. Why is everybody sitting at the front of the airplane? Or if we happen to be going back, maybe use the restroom before we left, and we went, huh, why is nobody sitting in the back of the like- airplane? That's the 10 only- empty rows back there. It's not good. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, all the data they would have sent us would have looked normal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Glad that it was a, a happy ending. And it looks like uh, Wiz has um, uh, fixed those uh, those procedures to keep this sort of thing from happening again in the future, which is good. That happened back in January of uh, this year. Okay. Um, let's continue on. We're we're uh, got a, several more items here in the news that we need to get through kind of quickly here. Um, this is kind of a sad story. Um, an Air Fo- uh, the Air Force settles a $25 million lawsuit for an F-16 strafing run that killed a contractor. And uh, let's see, Charles Holbrook, a retired master sergeant and former tactical air control party airman, died January 31st, 2017, so this was a few years back, at White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico after an F-16 Fighter Falcon student pilot incorrectly identified the target location during nighttime training, instead shooting at Holbrook's location. Uh, Holbrook, who was working as a contractor for Sensors Unlimited, now a division of Raytheon, was killed when the student mistook the line of rental cars for the similarly uh, lined target and was ordered to fire at the group, blowing up one of the rental cars and striking Holbrook in the head with a 20-millimeter round. Um, he'd, uh, Holbrook died several hours later at the hospital. And uh, so uh, it was basically death by friendly fire, and it was a mis-identification um, uh, of a target, and uh, it was a student pilot, and you know all these things lined up, unfortunately, to uh, have a, not a good ending. So, yeah, his first uh, night close air support mission uh, and his first use of night goggles also while flying the aircraft. Um, first time he would be performing a nighttime high angle of a uh, sorry, a high angle strafe attack. So lots of firsts there. Um, you know, the, the guy was probably pretty maxed out, I thought, with all that going on. Uh, so you have to say that. Um, you know, the likelihood of him perhaps making an error was higher than normal. Uh, but between the two of them, they certainly didn't spot that he had zeroed in on the wrong target until mm-hmm. it was too late. Well, and it doesn't help, too, that the the ground crew that was struck was less than half a mile away, and it was almost in an identical configuration to the target. Um, yeah. Yeah. While, while of- live firing is going on, I was, I'm a bit surprised that everyone wasn't undercover. Um Mm-hmm. Pub says good reasons for that. I don't know mm-hmm. how uh, this range was being organised. It's not like it's the first time uh, I've heard of you know quite a few instances of misidentification of targets at night. 
um, and people bombing the range safety officer's hut, uh, people bombing uh, boats at sea that were fishermen and not, uh, you know, floating targets. Uh, these things do happen, sadly. Yeah. Oh, oh well. Oh. Um, all right, moving on. Item D. An A321 brushed past a glider during descent into Class E airspace. This is from flightglobal.com. Yeah, Liz says an Airbus again. Hmm. Uh, German. <laughs> no, th- th- this was not. This was not. This was not their fault. <laughs> it just so happens to the work glider that though, was purely produced purely by close. an Airbus uh, yeah. company. <laughs> you know, a lot of purely times. Was it an Airbus glider? So, <laughs> yeah. Some sometimes we have shows where we have nothing but Boeing stuff going on. So you know, it, I like those shows. Balance. Yeah, I know you do. It always has a smile. Balance. 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 Yeah. German investigators have attributed as attributed a serious airprox incident in which a Lufthansa Airbus A321 crew failed to see a glider uh, to a decision allowing the jet to descend into Class E airspace during its approach to Hamburg. Uh, the encounter occurred northeast of Hamburg on 23 July last year as a 321 was being vectored for runway 23. In order to reduce the traffic load in the area, the Bremen radar controller gave the A321 crew an, an early clearance to descend to 3,000 feet. This allowed the aircraft to fly below the 4,500-foot boundary, separating Class C airspace from Class E airspace beneath. Uh, German investigation authority BFU says the A321 descending through 3,600 feet in a 25-degree left bank approached a Roladen Schneider LS4 glider from behind. The 17-year-old glider pilot with 20 hours of experience had no way of seeing the Airbus, the inquiry states. She was not aware of any impending collision risk and could not initiate any evasive maneuvers. With no transponder, the glider did not trigger the A321's collision avoidance system. Investigators' analysis suggests that under optimal conditions, the A321 crew could have seen the LS4 about 26 seconds beforehand, giving a theoretical 13.5-second reaction window to initiate evasive reaction or action but while the airbus crew was responsible for avoiding the conflict through the see and avoid principle the inquiry says the pilots would have been occupied by approach tasks making continuous airspace observation almost impossible their view of the glider it adds was very likely obscured by the instrument panel there's a graphic here um liz if you'll put that on the screen uh showing um the uh, close proximity of the A321 on the right to the LS4 on the left. I think that's pretty clear. I don't know why they had to. Point Oddly that enough, out. though, some of the measurements are in meters, and then the height measurement in feet. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's quite meters, common like in, in aviation. In we measure feet. our height in feet and distance in meters. That's common. <laughs> hmm. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, uh, you ve- you measure your visibility in statute miles, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. Which is, which is feet. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. at least we keep but it no, feet to feet. Statute miles to statute. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, BFU describes as incomprehensible the controller's decision to allow the A321 to descend into airspace occupied by traffic which cannot be detected by radar or mm. collision avoidance systems, uh, pointing out the sequencing pressure could have been reduced without taking the Airbus out of the protected airspace. Yeah. 
it clearly to me was a fault of the controller letting the uh, or directing the a321 to get that's down in that's that happening this has happened to me and going into germany uh well n- not not this you no know, thank goodness but um well, you I've took out a glider so. over there <laughs> well, yeah you see it if, if you see if you see any airplane I've flown, I've got silhouettes of gliders near the nose of the airplane, <laughs> kind of like, like uh, kills. Back kill, World War kill yeah. right? No, but seriously, um, going into uh, going into Frankfurt Hahn, uh, there's a lot of uh, and uh, and Rammstein Air Force Base. There's a lot of uh, uh, glider activity around there, and I've had uh, I've had controllers actually um, uh, offer me uh, early descent. And actually advise that I'll be going through Class Echo airspace um, and just be on the lookout for gliders. And I always come back with. How about you keep your control to airspace and uh, you know give me radar vectors to the uh, to the uh, localizer and I'll take that. You yeah, know, I don't like I don't, I don't care if I have to. Fly I mean, there's a reason for protected two, three airspace, minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for for approaches so, uh, and for traffic that doesn't you know, mingle well together. You know, stuff moving quickly, large large aircraft moving quickly and small aircraft moving slowly. That's not a good exactly. mix. Hard to see. It's also a case for uh, mandatory transponders if you're gonna fly mm-hmm. near controlled airspace sure so mm-hmm. it does add weight yeah. And, yeah. and complexity and expense but you know it does yes yeah. but yeah. then you yeah. get rammed by vagrant uh air buses vagrant. i like it how the they do uh, gliders in, yeah not in that controller space. No, i was gonna say i like it how they do gliders in germany here in the here in the states got packs you know so uh kind of like in uh, in la the guy i was uh, oh, the jet oh yeah jack jet, yeah, yeah so, uh, <laughs> you have to worry about jetpack you know, pilots so, uh, we, we we each have our, our problems apparently. yeah for sure well speaking of problems um how about some wildlife i like wildlife don't you um fresno california people are calling it calling it a miracle on sunday at around 12 30 p.m an owl landed inside a helicopter that was in flight fighting the creek fire the bird flew through the aircraft uh into the aircraft through a small 16 inch by 16 inch window which is about half a meter for those of you in uh, the parts of the world that use that measurement uh stared at the pilot as it did several water drops to the fire and then left out through the window around 10 minutes later now in my head i'm picturing a stare that only steph could give her passive aggressive <laughs> stare that's what the owl that's the yes, expression you call that a water drop you like i do better no just screwing it up man no um i'm just see i'm just thinking actually the uh the otter or the otter the owl wanted to um just take a little take a load off you know yeah rest yeah. exactly thinking mm-hmm. i was about to yeah. say that just yeah, hang out in the, uh, to... in the, i'm tired of flying around you're doing some flying looks a little bit like, exactly. easier I mean, for you, you to do you're going me, where so. i'm going you know I'm yeah, I if i just hit your ride and um nothing, nothing wrong there no i love it Pilot Dan Alpiner snapped a picture. Uh, yeah, you can show the helicopter um, that uh, was uh, the one that the 16 inch by 16 inch window, I think, is the front right window. Um, uh, pilot Dan Alpiner snapped a picture of his new unexpected co-pilot after it landed. He said when he noticed the large bird, he was scared. Now, I don't know if he was the pilot scared or the bird. I would be scared if I were the pilot. <laughs> I would be a little concerned. I'd be like, what? Oh, apparently it was startled. Please don't attack me. He said, it kind of spooked me for a second there. And we kind of locked eyes and the thing looked around. (laughs) It was chill. And then I was like, okay, and then you're going to work with me. (laughs) So uh, his company's, you you got the radios. Yeah. Take care of that for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Don't just walks around with, a, with an owl on his shoulder like a pirate. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now I'm just saying, this is a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I see what you did there. Very nice. Yeah, we'll have to remember that possible show title. Um, yeah, yeah, this is a hoot. Like so um, the, the, the article here says that he took a picture of the bird, but I don't see it anywhere in this article. I would have loved to have seen the picture I've of the I've seen owl. a video, haven't I? I think I've oh, seen a video, a video or a picture. Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. No, um, Sorry. when the story first came around. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Oh, well. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Everybody uh, flew, or his, the owl pal flew away safely. Uh, all right. Uh, continuing on uh, with uh, wildlife and nature. Uh, uh, let's see. Item F for frog strike. <laughs> and all this did not here. go so well for the animal. The yeah, so there's a question. picture on the screen there for you. <laughs> Frog legs, anyone? Oh, Frog poor legs? Kermit. <laughs> Out of the vent there. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how this all happened. I don't see any narrative no, or anything. I didn't find any, anything. But just no, a it came it's from just a, a tweet of a frog from a tweet. A320. Frog legs for dinner. Frog legs for yeah. dinner, Liz says. Very good. Yeah. Although it's not going to fill you up, it'll just have to be an appetizer. All right. And then G. Uh, sticking sort of with nature, sort of uh, this uh, 747 SP in a in a hangar in Lake Charles, Louisiana, got hungry, decided to take a big bite out of a Boeing business jet, a 737 business jet, um, and uh, yeah, looks um, kind of menacing, but it uh, basically totaled the 737 SP uh, in. Um, this original tweet says um, a Las Vegas Sands Boeing 747 SP was critically damaged uh, when it collided with another um, aircraft in a hangar in Marana Airport, Arizona. Uh, but it actually, uh, they put out an update and it said it was actually in Lake Charles. And then the hurricane, I'm assuming uh, Hurricane Laura, swept through the airport, damaging the hangar door and leaving a trail of devasta devastation mm. behind. That's so, painful to look at. It is really a shame. Not too many of those 747 SPs. Yeah, not a, of, not, not a lot of SPs around anymore. So yeah. uh, sad. I don't know. I thought they were pretty ugly. They kind of look like a toy, like a cartoon airplane, don't they? They do a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're uh, they're 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 special. The proportions looking, but, are a little uh, different. Yeah. I'd fly one all day long. I'll tell you what. Yeah, and you could. <laughs> no, <laughs> I could too. Those, the, the range on those airplanes was amazing. Or is oh, yeah. amazing, uh, I guess. Yeah, it, uh, before I, I believe the uh, the uh, the SB had the uh, the the record world record for a distance until the triple seven two hundred R came around. Someone's gonna, probably going to correct me, but uh, I think I think it was it was right there. One one ticket from another, and then uh, and then the the, the three fifty came along and ruined it. But ruined uh, it for everybody. Uh, the three forty had it before the three fifty. Uh, the five hundred, right? Uh, I don't know. I think it was the uh, original. It was 300. a three forty five hundred. I think it was Singapore doing uh, uh, Newark to uh, Singapore. That, I think it that was. might have taken it. Yeah, the three forty three hundred went Paris to Auckland, New Zealand, twenty one hours. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Well, that's the new segment. Uh, went a little bit long, but uh, you know, it's been a while. We're out of practice here, so we'll that's get right. better as time goes on. No, we won't. No, well, probably not. Yeah, I'm just saying it. But now is the time for us to get all caught up, and that's going to take another 
bit of time, I would imagine. Maybe we won't have any feedback on today's show. We'll see. Um, but, um, pardon me? Oh, that's right. We'll, we'll start with Rick because uh, we don't know when he's going to be back with us again. So, um, how you been, man? What, am I, am I, am I going somewhere? Oh, I don't know. Well, Liz seems to think you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Liz right is saying something about the production meeting and uh, we were going to let him go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, uh, okay. We okay. So that, this, might, this might be it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been good. Been good. I uh, just uh, back on the road here uh, as of uh, last week after taking a little bit of uh, personal time off and um, happy to be back, Flan. I mean, it's, it's been a while. So, uh, um, you, you don't, you don't realize how much you miss it until you actually get back and, uh, and, uh, back in the saddle and do it again, you know? So, uh, uh, right now I am in Cincinnati, been doing, um, um, transcon flights. Uh, I went over to Denver the other day, which was nice, uh, over to uh, Portland. Uh, the one thing here though, is that, uh, there are kids at, uh, airport hotels because of the, uh, of the uh, situation here in the States in these last few days. So uh, layovers haven't been as much fun as they usually are, but uh, it's given me time to kind of catch up on some, uh, some work I got to do. Um, but other than that, you know, just great flying, loving it, having a good time. I'm actually uh, waiting to hear from uh, our dater here, Jeff. How's, uh, how his training has been going. Who? What? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, uh, Rick, are, you, are we kind of coming in broken to you? Our audio? No, not at all. Okay. Your, no, your no. audio to us is breaking up. We can still understand everything. It's just okay. for those listening, uh, we're aware of it, but I think it's just the, the Wi-Fi. Um, that's Could it be my Wi-Fi here? It, yeah. it might be, yeah. Okay. Well, um, hopefully it'll get better. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, move over to Captain Nick. Yes, you. Down here. Is he muted? Yeah. Yeah, he's muted. I was somewhere else. Um, sorry about that. All right. I was expecting Rick to go on for a bit and then you oh, okay. well, me you can, out. You can go back to where you were then. Uh, no, no, were you watching fine. TV? I was just or... checking out world <laughs> records for airliners. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> so, um, like we do. Like you do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, now things have been pretty good until uh, COVID started to bite again. And uh, we've just gone back into lockdown. So, a lot of the things I was doing. Uh, are now not available, um, but had a couple of nice things. First of all, I got sent this book. Uh, okay, hold fast to your dreams. Uh, it is the story of um, George Lee, uh, and I've been asked to interview George. George was um, three times in a row uh, World Open Gliding Champion which considering he was holding down a job as a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force at the time was pretty good going. Um, he then went on to a great career with Cathay Pacific, uh, etc. Anyway, um, I've been asked to do an interview for him, so I'm looking forward to reading that book. And then I think it's probably going to go as a prize in PTUK. Mm. I also got uh, a lovely gift. Bombay, Bombay Sapphire that looks good. from the A320 podcast, Matt and Andy. Thank you very much indeed, guys. Uh, that was for a plain tale I did for their 100th show a while back. Um, so uh, I wasn't expecting anything. It arrived out of the blue. 
And considering it's blue sapphire, then it's Perfect. very apt. <laughs> so thank you very much indeed for that. I think they're buttering me up for some more work. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the most out. interesting, <laughs> yeah, the most interesting thing that happened was a little meetup I got um, with a lovely uh, guy, uh, and um, I've got some audio from that. I think. All right, I'll play it right now. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, Jeff. You. Uh, this is uh, Nick here, and um, we're in a lovely pub out in Midhurst, and uh, I'm with my son and his uh, wonderful girlfriend, Bee, uh, and I did hear on the grapevine that one of these great friends called Reese uh, listens to our show, and of course, never being one to miss an opportunity to say hello to a listener, I thought I'd pop over order a nice meal at uh, the pub where he works, and say hello. Reese. hi. Hello. <laughs> hello, Nick. <laughs> this is all very odd. <laughs> How yeah. are you? I'm very good. Yeah, very good. I'm oh, glad to hear that. Yeah. Now, tell us uh, how on earth you found out about the show, and what's your interest in aviation? So I'm, I'm, I've got about 280 hours. I fly um, a Christian Eagle at the moment. But... Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying, studying for my ATPLs at the moment. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I've got enough hours. I'm just doing my night rating as well. But I did my PPL through Goodwood about four years ago. Okay. So, yeah, and I've got about 12 aircraft. I've been flying uh, Falcos, Super Decathlons, and I've had to go in an extra 300, but now... Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. But currently, we're training to do competitions in aerobatics next year. So, oh, really? Yeah, so we've got the Christian Eagle in the club. Oh, excellent. And that's, that's great The club fun. being? Sport Air. Okay. So they're based at Goodwood. Excellent. Um, the guy who owns it, Richard Sims, is just retired as a 7-4 captain for BA. Oh, poor chap. Yes, yeah. I'm very sad for him. But, yeah, it worked out for him very well. Yes, I, I, I guess it did, yeah. Yeah, now we're inundated by instructors who are all 7-4 captains who've got nothing to do. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because you would like to work up hours, I, I yes, guess. Yes, exactly. And I was going yeah. to do my instructor's rating, but it's on hold as well. Oh. And Goodwood closes when there's lockdown. So, yeah. But other than that, I've just been checked out in the Christian Eagle, which was... Tell me about that, because I'm not familiar with that. So it's basically a pit special. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. But a kit-built pit special. Wow. Um, rated to plus nine, minus six. Golly. Um, Impressive. And probably the hardest aircraft I've ever had to fly. Mm. Uh, coming in sideways, looking down the cowling, and you've got four seconds at the end, basically, to flare in the side slip, straighten, while closing the throttle, and then committing and using your peripherals to go... There's the cones on each side, and I haven't gone over them. Let's hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Must be a devil in a crosswind, or perhaps that helps a bit. It does, actually. Yeah. I prefer it, because you can stick the nose into into where the crosswind's coming from, so left, or... But it's preferably to the right, because the speed gauge is on the left. So you want to look down the left. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So what's the ultimate aim? Uh, Fly commercially, fly professionally. That is the ultimate aim. Oh, good luck with that. Yeah. The best of luck with that. Um, any words for the crew? Captain Jeff's just finished his conversion, hopefully, and we might be getting a show later this week. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, um, lovely to 
maybe speak to your guys and lovely to meet you Nick Anderson well that's absolutely yeah. fantastic the pleasure is actually all mine thank you very much indeed for listening to the no, show anytime. we love it and it's only with the support of our wonderful listeners that uh, the show's a success yeah it's brilliant it's a brilliant show I love listening to it well, it's good for long drives indeed. to Oxford for my night rating so. <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully we'll be back in the air very soon and uh, back to you in the studio Jeff Thank you. Uh, was he aware that uh, this is the APG and not the PTUK show? I don't know. Maybe he was confused. <laughs> oh, sure he wasn't. No, no. no yes, no. he was. But I, I should be absolutely fair. I did rather ambush him mm. because uh, like he it. was unaware that I was in the pub. And uh, <laughs> my son and uh, B uh, grabbed him and dragged him in uh, you know, with his beer. And I literally, as he walked up to the table and <laughs> clocked me i literally put a microphone straight in his hand so uh, <laughs> yeah I don't give tell. him time to to think about it or say no just here you go all right, right. Yeah, that's the yeah. trick mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll have to remember that yeah no time to think of ums and ahs now absolutely delightful chap reese uh and um what if you're gonna build up ours what a way to do it oh yeah i mean uh flying those aerobatic aircraft particularly uh that um pit special uh kit built version uh, which uh, I tried to find on the internet. I'm probably not spelling it right, but uh, I know what a pit special is like. Uh, it's very impressive. And uh, uh, he said it's uh, really quite a tricky airplane to fly, and I, and I don't doubt it is. But uh, um, I take my hat off to him because Reese is going to be entering aerobatic competitions. And uh, oh, wow. personally, I think if you're going to become an airline pilot, to cut your teeth doing that kind of flying <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. Well, that kind of flying mm. is just like airline flying. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking more that jet upsets are going to be a just complete, yeah, let's, don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're going to keep it at 1G the whole time. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'll, I'll just turn this into a Cubanate and uh, <laughs> it'll go. be fine. There you go. Well, I do see somebody named Rice Perry in the, or Reese Perry, sorry, uh, in yeah, the Yeah, it's chat Reese room. as in peanut butter and chocolate. Gotcha. Um, well, why does he spell it wrong? Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> he's welsh poor chap oh we oh, have to give him heart. a little bit of latitude in the spelling um is that the same reese uh, yes it looks room? like it okay. i have Excellent. actually had a chance right, to confirm reese. that but okay. hi reese if that's you say hello we do apologize for for uh nick um what, what's the uh, word the ambush ambushing you in the uh, in mm-hmm. the pub <laughs> <laughs> microphone ambush yeah absolutely but anyway, uh no, at least you know it was a genuine response so it was, uh, it was a very most nice. certainly um now i have had a meetup at goodwood the airfield that he flies from um so uh i i think uh it would be uh, suitable next year uh while Reese, hopefully he'll still be there you know building his hours and finishing his a to pl we can have another one and uh hmm. he can uh fly his pit special and give us all a uh a demonstration over the airfield that would Ooh. be super wouldn't it That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Same All place right. where I went to the car stuff the other year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Sounds like a fun Very place. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to APG Reese. Well, I guess he's already, he was already there, uh, knew about us and was listening and uh, great to hear from you. Hopefully we'll all get to meet you someday in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to it. All right. Um, Steph. Yeah. 
How have you been? Good. I had to pull up a calendar because it's been remember? a while and I have no idea what I did in the past uh, several weeks. <laughs> Couldn't Don't even blur. actually remember the last time we did a show, but I think it was October 9th. Something like that. Sounds Something right. Something like that. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, actually the little hiatus timing worked out pretty well for me because I had some vacation uh, scheduled in October. So, um, my brother and my one of my good running friends and I, uh, we actually took a little trip to Arizona and we participated in a running event out there. It was a uh, across the country relay that was organized by a mutual friend of ours who runs a big running group on Facebook. Um, so that was actually pretty neat because um, a lot of um, racing and things like that, big events have been canceled this year with COVID and whatnot. Uh, so it was nice to participate in some sort of organized running event. So um, the relay did not come through my part of the country. So um, my friend and I, Karen and I live here in, uh, you know, the Carolinas and we we're like, well, we want to join this. So we'll just pick a random place to go and, uh, you know, take part in this relay. And Karen goes, well, I'd like this uh, segment out here, like on the, uh, in New Mexico, like almost on the border of Arizona. And I went, all right, well, I'll take the first segment in Arizona. So, uh, you know, that's what we did. We went and made a week of it and kind of drove all around the state. Uh, we wrote my brother into taking the leg after me because no one had done that one yet, um, which turned into a 16 mile run for him, uh, basically in the dark on a two lane mm. highway. <laughs> Does um, he still love you? I think so. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but we had a good time. Um, you know, we went into a lot of cool stuff. Never been to um, Petrified Forest National Park before. So check that one off the list. Ding. Um my friend Karen had not been to the Grand Canyon or Sedona, so we went and did that stuff as oh, well. Beautiful. And it was yeah, it was very nice. So that was a whole week there. And then um nothing new or different, really, just uh, you know, the usual doctoring day job during the week and uh flying on the weekends. So that's what I've been up to. I don't think I've done anything else. I was trying to like I said, I was looking through the calendar just to make sure because I can't remember. <laughs> um yeah, I think that is it. Um might have a little meetup next week with um, Pilot Pip as well. He has to uh, come to the States to do some training, the current training. So I think it's a little layover here. Perfect. Oh, Sounds like yeah. fun. Who, who's that again? Pip? Uh, some, some guy, I think he does a podcast. His, oh, his name's Lemon Pip. <laughs> Lemon Pip. <laughs> That's great. So, assuming that, you know, lockdown stuff there doesn't put a damper on his travel plans. Well, should have an hour to meet up next make week. Make sure that you record something if you think of it. Yeah, maybe. Probably not. No, I'll okay. try. Probably not. Um. Oh, you don't? Okay, hang on. Let me. Um, I'm talking with uh, Liz right now. Is having her get something ready for me. You have it. Okay. Um. So, uh, is it my turn now? I think so. I okay. don't have anything else to, uh, to discuss. Okay, well, you know, we eventually have to get to this, don't we? Um, go ahead and put that <laughs> this up is all, there. This is what we're all waiting to hear, Jeff. Yep. <laughs> Ooh. Golly, I thought it was going to be a link trainer. <laughs> <laughs> you did hear that uh, sound effect yes. stuff yes. going on there, didn't you? <laughs> yes. So on the screen on the video podcast is a picture, a generic picture of a full motion simulator. <laughs> that was my hell that I've been through this past month. Started training October 5th and uh, my 
simulator check ride, my final one. There were actually, well, a procedures trainer check and uh, a uh, maneuvers evaluation check ride in the simulator and then a line-oriented uh, flying kind of uh, check ride on the 31st of October. Yes, it was scary, especially if you were the uh, evaluator watching me. <laughs> Uh, but I made it through, and uh, he looked at my uh, first officer and I and said, Welcome to the Mini Dog Fleet. So that's another name for the uh, Boeing 717 slash MD 95 slash Angry Puppy uh, or Mini Dog, your choice. So uh, made it through just fine. Um, and I do apologize for uh, everyone, uh, especially those of you who are concerned, because the last episode title was Captain Death. And then the the show just disappeared no and we didn't put out any more episodes and i'm thinking hmm i'm wondering if people thought i took that literally there were, there were a few concerned emails <laughs> yeah. that <Yeah>. came in <laughs> thank you Liz, we did put stuff on social up. media but we know not everyone is on the social right. medias and we, we didn't really to, have any other way to we tell you to follow that, us on the but, social meds but yeah. not everybody does so there we go uh, thank you liz that's the uh, the grim reaper um the uh uh, a very appropriate uh, image to put up there and uh, anyway so uh, made it through the training and uh, as i was saying um, i was hoping to be able to continue to do the show um, and uh, it's my fault because i haven't trained everybody else on the crew to do all the things that i do behind the scenes especially after we've recorded the show and you know if i'd done that uh, then perhaps we could have continued our normal every well, week if you show. paid us a bit more well yeah that's the other thing that I didn't want to do. Uh, so, you know, they weren't really all up to speed on how to do all that um, on their own and without me. Uh, I could just show up and say some things and, you know, then I wouldn't have to worry about all the time and energy required after the uh, show recording. But I realized uh, at, I don't know, was it about the week point, a one week point that um, I was going to have to put a lot more energy into this training than I thought I was thinking that one of the reasons why I picked the Boeing 717 was that it, uh, well, hey, it's just another smaller version of an MD-88, MD-90. Uh, what could be different about it? And I found out really, really quickly that uh, the automation and uh, the uh, flight management system, computer and interface and philosophy and everything else was completely different. And uh, it just really kicked me in the uh, in the butt. <laughs> So to speak. told you, go to the seven five seven six. Yeah, you know, Rick. You know what? <laughs> it, I thought about that several times actually uh, while I was in seven one seven training, thinking, you know, I think that would have been a lot easier if I'd just done the seven five seven six. But uh, and I would have been your training buddy. Yep. But, so, hey. oh well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So made it through, and then uh, just got back uh, yesterday from my Tuesday through Thursday uh, IOE, um, initial operating experience on the airplane, and I thought, I put out a, um, a crew log on uh, that first day uh, when I was driving to the airport that um, that day would be my first chance to land the airplane because I just assumed I would be flying the first flight from Atlanta to Dallas Love Field, but uh, I was very relieved to hear when I met up with my line check airman that I would be uh, doing the pilot monitoring uh, duties on that flight and he would take that leg from Atlanta to uh, Dallas Love and I thought oh good <laughs> so uh, pressure was off at least for that first day and then the next day I flew both legs uh, back from Dallas Love to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Greenville Spartanburg 
which is a very short leg. Um, and like uh, 15 minutes. Yeah, I think the basically. flight time was like 20 something um, minutes. Uh-huh. And we took off to the east and we landed to the northeast. So everything was, you know, a perfect flow Just as short line. as possible. <laughs> and well, you didn't uh, even put the landing gear up, man. You know, almost. Yeah, we almost didn't have to. But uh, so, you know, fast and furious and all that kind of stuff. And um, so uh, then we, uh, it's funny, on the second day, we were in Greenville Spartanburg at the uh, Aloft Hotel. And, uh, uh, Kevin said, um, you know, what, you have any plans for today? Cause the first day I had a little bit of a, uh, zoom meeting, not really zoom, but a stream yard meeting with the, with the crew and, uh, just to hang out a little bit and, you know, get caught up with what everybody's doing. And, uh, so I kind of excused myself from doing anything with Kevin that first night in, in Dallas. Um, and then he, so that's, I think why he was asking whether or not I was, I had plans for the next day. And I said, no, I'm, it's wide open. He goes, all right, well, we get together around four o'clock for a debrief. And, um, and then he said something like, we'll maybe grab dinner after that. And so I thought what he meant by debrief was to go to the bar and have some beers, <laughs> but you know, he really meant debrief. So, uh, we, we sat down in the lobby of the, um, hotel, uh, and, uh, and talked about, um, vertical navigation or what they call prof in the uh in the boeing 717 so which is good because we needed to kind of talk about that kind of stuff that's all part of the uh operational experience um guide that uh we have to go over and because it was such a short trip and most of the legs were pretty short there wasn't a lot of time to cover that stuff in the actual airplane during flights and then the next day uh early start back to atlanta and then um the uh, last two legs a savannah uh turn uh was my check ride to uh, make sure that uh, he could uh, sign me off and he did so i got back from uh, savannah flew that leg back to atlanta and then he uh, basically said the same thing welcome to the fleet and you're good to go and i'm thinking really <laughs> i'm going to be on my own now <laughs> and uh, because i'm i already have a dc9 type rating um you know that's all i'm required to do i think like a five hours total of time and three landings was all i'm required to have before uh, I'm on my own, so hopefully the co-pilot on my next uh, trip on Monday will be uh, a nice, experienced, competent first officer to keep me out of trouble. <laughs> you know that's no, you're going to do. Chef. It's going to be just fine. No, yeah, yeah. yeah you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. You mean to tell me you don't like flying solo? I've flown solo a couple times. Yeah, I have to. Yeah, that's true. But I'm not the guy that yeah has to over watch over everything. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm sure that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm much more competent than I feel right now. It's just that when you get into a new airplane, it's just like, wow, this doesn't feel like, you know, after flying an airplane for 18 years, it's just like, you don't even think about it. You just know where everything is. You can close your eyes. You can put your hand over here and hit this switch. You know where everything is. And this is like, okay, I know there's a switch up here somewhere that I'm supposed to do, right? You know, (laughs) where is that panel? You know, so it's just going to take some time, I think. But uh, the airplane flies, um, very similar to the uh, 88 and 90, and uh, m- probably more like the 90 because it has uh, a Vedic system uh, with the engines. And uh, the lateral, the roll on it is uh, much more sensitive than the, uh, uh, the shorter wingspan probably has something to do with it. The geometry is a little bit different, but it is fly-by control tab on the, you know, the ailerons and the elevator, uh, powered rudder, just like the other two airplanes. Uh, but, um, yeah, it feels pretty good and it's got a good thrust to weight ratio. It's not that heavy. And especially now in these COVID times, we're not carrying a lot of passengers. So, and especially these short segments, uh, the thing's a little rocket. So, um, 
it's going to be fun to fly. I'm looking forward to uh, getting comfortable with it. So that is my training in the, uh, in the mini dog. And I'm sure I'll have more stories in the future. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, I got um, the last, I was telling the crew this before we started recording. I, uh, I got a boo-boo on my thumb. I was doing my, my pilot monitoring pre-flight duties and uh, my first officer uh, line check airman guy. I don't think he did it on purpose. Kevin, if you're listening, <laughs> was that, did you do that on purpose just to see how I'd handle this situation? I had my thumb back there doing a check of the oxygen uh, mask uh, in the observer's seat. And he decided to adjust his chair at the same, his seat at the same time. And all the weight of the seat and his body what came down on my thumb and I went, <laughs> and he knew immediately that something was wrong. And, uh, he goes, you okay? I went, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I can't sing a thumb here. I can't like take myself out of this now. I've gone no. this far. I'm going to finish this thing. And so, uh, with thobbing thrum wrapped up in, um, in band-aids, um, blood going over the place. Um, I said, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. It's surprising how much that little area, like right at the, you know, nail bed there can yeah. be. I did a similar thing uh, at, at, like in training uh, at work one time. Um, I was actually um, assisting and just help, helping open files of medication and while, you know, while the attending doctor was doing their thing with injections. And <clears throat> we had uh, lidocaine in glass ampule uh, vials where basically the whole thing is glass and you there's a way you line it up and you just, you know, kind of mm-hmm, pop the pop top of it and the glass, you know breaks cleanly and you're good to go well, this one to. didn't break cleanly this Ooh. one kind of crushed in my finger Eesh. um and, and with very little force so i think there was something actually wrong with the manufacturing of that bottle or something but the glass did this it like just went into the nail bed there so i was looking mm. at your you know your thumb boo-boo there and recalling that and i just remember how much that bled all over the place and i did the same thing i was like ah, I'm, I'm fine um mm-hmm. give me just one second here so i don't you know bleed all over the floor and i'll be right back i'm just gonna be right back i'm gonna go cry <laughs> right a little back. bit and uh <laughs> i'll fine. come back and we'll be fine yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, um, what was I going to say? That reminded me of something of what you just said, Steph. But I can't remember. Ah. Oh well. It's it's heck getting old, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't I think know we're stuff. Tell me about it. Talk about yeah, that. Liz, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I can't remember, remember either. Like. <laughs> Doesn't know what it's like getting old anymore. He's forgotten no. that much. No. Yeah, okay. That was yeah. an age. That was too long ago. <laughs> uh, well, I guess there's. Nothing really else to say. Nope, there is. There is. There's oh, well, no, I'm, I'm not finished with the intro. That's okay, Liz. Oh, okay, we're we're okay. good. We're good. Okay. She's directing me. She's she's uh, making her money uh, on this show. Um, well, first thing I have here. Uh, well, let's do this one first. Rick, you told us to remind you to do a shout out to Tony. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Uh, on my uh, on my flight from uh, Denver back to uh, Cincinnati. I was at the, um, so flew to Cincinnati and, uh, my FO for that flight, uh, he was going home. So, uh, he flew out of Denver and I found myself in Denver with no FO to do the trip back to, uh, back to Cincinnati. Excuse me. So I was, um, um, refreshing my, my schedule there. And all of a sudden I see a a familiar name on there and, um, uh, Tony Anthony, now the the interesting thing about Anthony is that uh, my first flight uh, on IOE on on the seven six, uh, he was the safety pilot for this flight. We flew from uh, Riverside to Honolulu, so I was at the uh, at the at the hotel in the gym, and he walks in, 
And uh, that's when I find out that he was going to be my uh, my uh, my FO for my FO for the flight the following morning, early in the morning. And so um, worked out a little bit. Told him, "Hey, you want to get some dinner a bit later?" And he said, "Okay, let's go get some dinner." So we went downstairs, met up for dinner, and he starts telling me how back in the day he used to listen to this guy called Miami Rick. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's uh, I think I've heard of him. Ah, don't know and who that this is. is back when was, <laughs> and this is back when he was in flight Sounds school. Sounds vaguely familiar to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've I think I've seen him around. So um, every time I look in the mirror, exactly every every, every morning. So uh, uh, he said that uh, that uh, him and his uh, and his friends that uh, that he went to uh, to school with down in uh, down in Florida uh, used to listen to the uh, and and still to this day listen to the podcast. And he said that it was. It was, it was very nice that uh, we were all uh, an inspiration to him and his friends uh, to, uh, you know, know, press on with their careers. And uh, now we uh, get to share the flight deck together. So uh, it was, it was, it was really nice, you know, just, 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 just such a great feeling to, to know that you've uh, made a little bit of a difference in someone's life and been able to uh, inspire someone to follow their dreams and to uh, get to, uh, to a position where you get to do this for a living so it was it was it was really nice that's uh, awesome gave i gave yeah mm-hmm. i gave him the leg back to denver and uh no, actually, no he i i wanted to give him the leg to denver but he wouldn't take it it's like hey go ahead i mean uh to cincinnati but mm-hmm. uh, he wouldn't take it and he just wanted me to fly it so uh well tony so you're yeah. you're <laughs> in that uh 50 of the people that listen to the show and are inspired by it that actually succeed so Good on you. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Do we know those stats? Great job. <laughs> Only 50. <laughs> I, I think it's actually probably quite a bit higher. No, it's probably higher. Like, no, higher than that. That's, I was telling Rick about this too. Like, you know, that's really the, the cool thing about doing all of this is just there's such a wonderful community sense of this. And, and it's really great to hear from people who are kind of just going through the process. And I actually just saw we just got an email from someone giving an update on their training and whatnot. So um, we love hearing that stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's good for us to hear, but it's also good for everyone else out there to hear because it keeps everyone going especially uh in times like these this year so oh absolutely and i I can i can i can remember you know just coming up through my training and back when 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 i was when i was going through all that stuff and it would have made all the difference in the world to have a community like this one and a group of friends like this one to uh to to fall back on and to kind of push you along and to inspire you and to and to and to push you yeah to be the uh as corny as it sounds, the best that you can be, and uh, this is yeah. this is. I think what it we keeps do. everything and keeps everything relevant too. You know, if absolutely. You're, you know, when you're in school, when you're in training, it's hard to. Sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the big picture of, of mm-hmm. the final outcome. So it's it's nice to hear about people who are there and what they're doing. And, yeah, yeah, it's easy to get demoralized. It's easy to get. Uh, it's easy to get. Uh, you know, to get the wind knocked out of you, and uh, it's 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 groups like these and people like 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 the community here that. Uh, that uh, push you along and, and keep you going. So uh, I'm just that just meant the world to me. Tony wouldn't actually come out and say that. Hey, uh, you guys really really made a difference, and and I thank you for it. So that's what yeah, it's about, man. Great. This community um, is so supportive. And by the way, thank you to the community for being so supportive of me. I got a lot of well wishes and you know thoughts and prayers while I was in training, and that really meant a lot to me. And really, the reason why we've mentioned this before, you probably think we're just saying it, but we're not. The reason why we do this every week is basically to just kind of keep the community connected, kind of just, you know, let everybody know what's going on with it and uh, have meetups and that sort of thing. And uh, speaking of that, um, yeah, this would be cheers good. Cheers to that. Yes. Oh, cheers to that. And I have my 
survival uh, beer, emotional support beer at hand. <laughs> if you're wondering what Quite I'm necessary. drinking. Is uh, this, I just discovered this um, recently. It's been out for a while, I think. Um, but, you know, everybody knows that I love ah, High Lie um, IPA. Uh-huh. And that's about a, that's like seven point something percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't it's really got have. a little bit of a punch to it. Yeah, it does. You know, after a while you're going, wow. Um, but, uh, man, you look in the mirror and go, <laughs> pretty good looking. Um, that's after several. Um, doesn't happen so much with this one. This is. Um, high low <laughs> it's a, a session <laughs> beer it's uh made by the same company uh, that makes high lie yes. and it's about four percent alcohol so oh, i can so have more of, of having beer goggles you have a beer monocle exactly and it's, <laughs> you got to drink a lot of these well, high lows. On a roll now, like it. Just, it means you can have you can have more yeah you know? i have to drink twice as many to kind of look the same <laughs> anyway um so yeah cheers to that and uh, uh you know great uh, congratulations Tony, and thank you very much for the kind words. And speaking of community, uh, we have a uh, bit of a an audio feedback of a meetup that occurred with um, a former APG co-host and APG community member at large. And let's take a listen. Well, hello to the APG community, and this is uh, former Captain Dana. Well, soon to be Captain, I hope, again in the very near future. I am standing here in the triad. I have a overnight up here in the triad. And believe it or not, somebody was available to come meet me. And uh, so I'm looking around. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful, clear night, really nice temperatures. And we've decided to come back to the same restaurant we were at last time when I was in the triad because the food here is that good. Anyways, I'm not going to make any further ado because I'll talk a little bit more once I give the uh, get the mic back from somebody, and I'll let him introduce himself. Here he here he is. Hey, it's Romeo Hotel from Opposing Basis, and it's always good to have Dana in town. We'll go out and find some good food. I think AG took you to a nice burger place, and I've taken you here twice, so maybe I have to get him a little more original for me. But um, it's good to have you for a nice nice dinner, and uh, we'll get to enjoy some awesome southern food here in the local triad area uh, and talk about the 737 and your experience in the right seat and I can exchange stories about work and how everything's going during all this time but it's great to see Dana healthy smiling like always we miss you on the APG and it's uh, I get a substitute for that I get to, I get a live meet up and a live dinner and I get to catch up in real time so it's great seeing you Dana and uh, thanks for doing the recording well, RH, you know, certainly uh, always a pleasure. And, of course, Opposing Bases, which I listen to on a regular basis, love it. And just uh, was listening to the uh, uh, flight instructor that he had on on his last show, um, a very accomplished flight instructor. So if you don't listen to the show um, and you haven't listened to the show in the past, and I would highly recommend listening to that episode because it was amazing. This is a 50-year pilot uh, that's a flight instructor, and he's a uh, designated examiner, and he won the Wright Brother. That's right, the Wright Brothers Award. And so it's just an amazing, uh, amazing show to listen to. Anyways, uh, yeah, things are going well, and I, you know, knew that I was coming up here to the Triad area, and I reached out to the guys, and they said, "Yeah, well." Um, I'm available. RH and AG is off doing his military stuff, so I miss you, AG. But certainly uh, a great opportunity to meet up and 
chew chew the spud, as one would say, about things that are going on in the world. And we really do hope everybody out there in, in the aviation world is, is coping with uh, COVID and things are going well for you. In the meantime, I'm going to send it back to Jeff in the studio. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Yes. I love bases opposed uh, with Arhag, the uh, host. Um, did I get that right? R, um, no, R-H and A-G. Why am I the only one here? Now, who put that back up there? I'm here. <laughs> oh, there you are. I was just going to let you, you think through it. I knew it would come I back I was panicking. I was the only one that I could see on the video. Those, those blokes are recess <laughs> and A negative. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, great to hear the, uh, the meetup audio. By the way, this is a good time to all of you out in the community. If you get together with other APGers in a meetup, with or without an APG crew member, please take the time to record some audio and send it in, and we'll play it on the show. Unless it's like super long, then we'll maybe have to edit it or something. But uh, we'll play it over several shows. Yeah, <laughs> um, but honestly, uh, you don't have to wait for one of us to be there. Um, if you, uh, I know we have a Facebook group out there on the West Coast, the uh, West Coast APGers, and uh, if you guys get together, guys and gals, um, you know, record some audio, send it in, and uh, we'll play it on the show. And if you're Anywhere in the country or the world, uh, for that matter, um, yeah, send us some audio feedback. It's always fun to hear the community uh, out there. And, uh, and it's always uh, great to hear that our listeners are getting together and, um, you know, cheering the breeze. It's a mm-hmm. brilliant idea. Yeah, and I hope to do, it, do more of that or hope we all can do more of that as time goes on. And hopefully we'll get to a point where we're somewhat closer to, you know, pre-COVID times so that we can actually meet up physically bc before yeah, COVID. bc oh. before covid perfect <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um let's see what else was i gonna say oh speaking of opposing bases i was very saddened i listen i take these long walks like usually five to seven miles on the beach day. what's that uh, just long walks Not on, the beach. on the beach yeah oh, okay. i mean i would if Less i had a beach here. nearby okay. but i don't <laughs> Uh, it's mostly just sidewalks and various neighborhoods uh, around the Roswell Alpharetta area. And uh, one of the shows I like to listen to, and there are so many good aviation shows out there, um, but uh, I usually uh, like to listen to opposing bases on my walks for some reason. And uh, it gets me energized, I guess, because uh, I get so upset with what they're saying. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Um, but, uh, one that I was listening to a few weeks back really kind of made me sad because it was, uh, a guy sending some feedback. I think it was like Shane or Sean. And if you're out there listening, you know who he probably isn't because he said he defected from the APG and now was, is a, you know, full listerner to to us. I know. Listen, he's and we were so nice to those guys, expert. and now they're stealing our listeners. I know. We did so much to support that show yeah. and encourage yeah. and all That's that kind of stuff. Time. And those, I'm not and really I sure. Really, I can honestly, I was like a, a little tear kind of peered out of my eye, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> I feel abandoned. Why can't he do both? I don't know why he can't do both, Liz. That's a good question. Yeah. Anyway. Time. Time. Just wanted to let you know if you're listening out there, Shane or Sean or whatever your name Whoever is, you know, you know who we you are. You really hurt my feelings. I'm surprised you know his full name. Don't they just go by um, initials over there? Oh, yeah. yeah. How did I know? Hmm. Mm, very curious. I don't know. Anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had somebody investigate. <laughs> 
<laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Private investigator. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, you, you'll hear me talking to Liz uh, on occasion on the live show. Uh, I'm the only co-host that can hear what Liz is saying in my ear. Sometimes, though, when I'm editing the show, she'll say something that's just so funny uh, that I'm reacting to, and it really doesn't make sense in context. And so I'll throw her voice in there on occasion because I'm recording a track with just her on it, an audio track. And so sometimes if you're listening to the audio podcast, you'll hear Liz's voice saying something. And I've gotten a lot of feedback saying, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but uh, you know, occasionally we hear Liz, and I don't think we're supposed to be hearing Liz. Well, no, it's it's... We don't purpose. want to hear Liz. Yeah. No, yes, we do, Liz. She says, well, you don't want to hear Liz. We do want to hear Liz, actually. We can't <laughs> convince her to be on the on the regular show full time. So um, we just have to live with those little bits and pieces of, uh, of witty um, satire from her. Well, yeah, repartee. Anyway, so that's just an explanation. I am aware of the fact that Liz's voice is on the audio podcast every now and then. So thank you out there for caring. We do appreciate that. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm so um, sad that I didn't remember to play this at the beginning, and then I didn't, again, remember to play it when it was time for Steph to tell us about what she was doing. Cackalecky, cackalecky, cackalecky all day long. Cackalecky, cackalecky, cackalecky's where I belong. Well, I've been around this whole wide world. I've been around the block. <laughs> I've been around this whole wide world. Cackalecky's where I belong. Cackalecky, cackalecky. It's actually our state anthem. I wasn't aware that that was common knowledge, but. So what's funny about that is I, I don't know how I stumbled yeah. upon it, but uh, there's a, a guy, um, a very talented musician. Uh, he wasn't one of those singing. Um, and I, I can't remember, isn't it Jonathan bird, I think, and, um, loved it. And I, I just happened to stumble on this video that he did. Uh, he said that he, one of the people is, he, I guess he has a cackalacky. I guess I make, um, hot sauce or something. Yes. There's a, there's a hot sauce Okay, uh, by the same name. And, uh, and he, and somebody saw his guitar case and it had cackalacky on it. And he, and he goes, how do I get one of those? And so he said, well, you know, he gave him the information on how he can get a bumper sticker so he could put it on his guitar case or whatever. And then somehow the people at this company heard about it and drove their van over to Jonathan Bird's house. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he lives somewhere in North Carolina. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, brought a whole bunch of, you know, bumper stickers and all kind of stuff. And they and were like sauce. out there and hot sauce. Yeah, a lot of hot sauce. And they were out there uh, talking about Kakalaki and then they they sang that song for him, and uh, so he recorded it. So I thought it was pretty funny. I thought, oh, that was the Kakalaki State Choir? I think it yes. was. Yes. Well, yeah, we do have a state choir to perform the state <laughs> anthem. Or maybe it's a state hymn. I'm not sure. It's one of the two. Well, surely there are some hers as well. <laughs> well, this was just a trio, actually. And I heard something in the background. I can't tell if it was like friends of theirs yelling or if it was a dog howling in the background. Could you hear some kind of a weird... Something well, they all sounded the, pretty much well, like a dog in the background. Definitely to me, a studio but. recording going on there. <laughs> no, it was out yeah. in the. No, in, I know, I know oh, it okay. was. That's yeah. The, yeah, I don't know what was what that was, but uh, anywho. <sighs> I have that bumper sticker. Just sent you a picture of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. do that. That's uh, that's great. I already did. did I love you it? Oh, you did already. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll see if I can throw that up there. At some nah, point. you don't have to because it's just at my house. So it's just for. Okay. But anyway, yeah. All right. Well. Um, let's talk about the, uh, coffee fund, uh, briefly, and then we'll move on to feedback. We're already 
more than halfway through the show, so we need to get going. So, uh, let's see, let me play this. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, oh yeah. All right, Coffee Fund, that is your way to uh, contribute to the show financially, if you have the resources to do that. If you're... uh, in the midst of flying lessons or you need the money to, for a roof over your head and clothes and food and all that kind of stuff. Well, food, eh, send it to us instead. Yeah. But anyway, um, so we have this thing called the coffee fund and you can find out information about it by going to our website. But let me tell you, we have several, and it's been a while since we've uh, talked about it, several people using the coffee fund classic method, uh, George Leslie, Eugen Hurt, uh, Chris Randall, David Lieb, Wigner Guanison, Jason Kuntz, Alistair Kerr, William McLaughlin, Randy Ackerman, and Brian Huey. Just this morning, he sent us in a $100 contribution. Thank you. Woohoo. Appreciate that, Brian. And uh, to everybody who has contributed in the past and will contribute in the future. Thank you very much for that. That's the classic method. We also have. A Patreon thing. You can become a patron of the show via Patreon. And since the last show, a new producer, Duncan Jones. So thank you one and all for becoming members of that August group of folks we call the Coffee Fund Cadre. And with that, it is now time for us to move on to the next segment, which we call the feedback segment. Captain, incoming message. I could tell I'm out of practice with this. A few weeks off and I forget how to do this. A little rusty. A little rusty. Yeah. Oh, okay. I need to do this here. You need to practice your flows. Yeah, I do need to practice my flows for sure. (laughs) That is the music we like to play when Ivor or Tarquin or both send us feedback. This is from Ivor. Dear jo- now, he sent, this is an interesting piece of feedback. He wasn't sure exactly how training was going, so he sent me two versions all in the same feedback. So let me read the first one. Dear Jeff, he didn't call me Captain Jeff in this one. So sorry to hear that you managed to balls up a training course on an aircraft you already know how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> to say we in APG land are somewhat deflated is an understatement. Of course, there will be good reasons for this dismal and frankly dismal outcome. Firstly. We must consider your declining human faculties. Let's be honest. You're not the spring chicken you once were. Age (laughs) is a cruel mistress, and it looks like she's dumped you. (laughs) But I'm sure you will soldier on with the former airline pilot guy show. (laughs) Good luck for the future from your number one supporter, Ivor. Wow, that was really sweet of him. But Mm. Ivor, it's okay. I, I made it through. So let me read this version which is probably more applicable. Dear Captain Jeff, heartfelt congratulations on your top-of-the-class graduation on the new aircraft type. This is the news we were all expecting, and true to form, you've exceeded all expectations. (laughs) Bravo from your most loyal supporter, Ivor. I never doubted your smooth transition onto another aircraft type. You can now concentrate on your future flying and podcasting careers. 
Good news for everyone. Looking forward to many years of top quality flying from you. Love, Ivor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's very good. Cool. Uh, that was perfect. That's great. Just, you know. Covering the bases. It's kind of a contingency guy, huh? Like, you got to have a plan B. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we always talk about that on the show. Yeah. Oh, All right. Oh, this is interesting. We haven't heard from Captain Jerry in a while. <laughs> uh, uh, our listener, Bruce, uh, sent this in. I hope you're all coping well with the per, uh, present difficult times and still have a positive view of the future. I thought I would keep you up to date with Captain Jerry and what he's doing at the moment. So here's another clip from his show that he kindly and naively allowed me to send to you. Keep safe, Bruce. And uh, do we have the overlay up, uh, Liz? We do. Okay, awesome. So let me play this little excerpt. Oh, Jonathan, I don't think your uh, narcolepsy necessarily uh, prohibits you from becoming an air traffic controller. Um, <laughs> I think you fit right in at uh, Atlanta ATC, for example. <laughs> well, now it's time for uh, the next part of the show, something I'm sure you've all been looking forward to, uh, where you get to ask me. Now, we have uh, a lot of questions that we've uh, compiled and boiled down to a quick-fire set of questions that we're going to do now, and, uh, well, I hope you enjoy. Yes, it's time for Ask Jerry. Now, Jerry, uh, I hope you're ready for these questions because they're going to be coming at you rather quick. Oh, there appears to be uh, a delay there. You... uh, I heard you then talking as I was talking, Jerry, but I hope this goes okay. Right. Uh, are you ready? Well, I'll take that that you're ready. <laughs> so, first question. Do you take extra precautions of any kind when uh, you take off in cold weather, or do you just go ahead and take off? Go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, here's a good one. Um It's just an hour before you take off, and nobody will find out, and somebody offers you a glass of whiskey. What would you do? I check for ice. Right. (laughs) Well, here's a tough one. You're just about to land, Jerry, and uh, you're 50 feet off the runway, and you get the call to go around. Now, would you refuse to do that, or are you the kind of pilot that always follows air traffic control instructions i'd refuse of course okay uh, well jerry i'm not sure you could describe to us uh, the scenario where a pilot has lost total situational awareness but he's content with that situation well i uh, always hope i remain that type of pilot oh good lord well final question what is your opinion of the head of Delta Airlines? He's fat, dumb, and happy. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jerry. Nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> Jerry. Make him hide. Just ask me. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So latency can that be a very good. dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Got to know which Very. question you're answering there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, that everybody knows, I do not fly for that airline he just mentioned. I fly for Acme Airlines. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, latency can really end up, you know, getting you delay, delayed ejaculations. Mm, yep. 
And that is a perfectly <laughs> appropriate. That's if you say something like, you know, an outburst is an ejaculation, a verbal outburst. Look it up. If you uh-huh. don't believe us, no, actually, d- don't look it up. Yeah, don't look it up. Well, yeah. yeah you will. It will not return the search. Uh, Go to a dictionary yeah. first. And look it up. <laughs> <laughs> paper, yeah, preferably. Yeah. Don't look at. Don't paper. don't put that word don't in. Move, don't push your paper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just cool. be careful out there. Be safe. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well. Well done, Jerry. Thanks, yes, Jerry uh, <laughs> slash Bruce. Uh, glad, glad to know they're awesome. still going strong. Nice yes. English accent. I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think I do believe Bruce is English. Is he not? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So nice American accent. Yes, he does a great case. American yes. accent. Jerry sounds just like somebody I know. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, um, we have um, another installment of the uh the training escapades of uh captain dana on the 737 and this is the third installment and i think we should take a listen to this what do you think go for it sure. all right here we all go. Right. well hey there apg community hope you're enjoying some of this information i'm sharing with you i'm sure with with me you're bored and and, and tired of hearing everything I have to say, but, well, maybe somebody out there will enjoy it. So here you go. I'm going to start talking a little bit more about uh, as I was going through the uh, simulated training sessions on the maneuvers, uh, learning how to fly the aircraft. And on uh, day number two, I show up, and, you know, it, we're uh, we're now going to have full motion. It's ex- an exciting day just to get to feel the aircraft, see how it really flies, I mean, as well as the simulator can mimic it. And, and I'll tell you, the 88 simulator was okay, but the uh, 737 simulators are actually much newer, and uh, they are uh, much more like the real aircraft after I've experienced both now. So taking a look at day number two here, uh, it looks like my second day. Um, it was my first time ever actually landing the aircraft uh, in with motion on and uh, learning how to take off, which, you know, the 737 is a, a low-sitting aircraft, so it sits pretty low to the ground. Um, but, you know, funny enough, I, I you know, everybody's really cautious, especially the 900, on how uh, how long it is. But it actually sits a little higher than the the, the MD88 and MD90 did, so it, you know it is an issue because um, of the length. But it's not that much more of an issue actually than what we were dealing with with the 88 and 90. It's just the, the difference in the, in the rotation, and, and it's kind of a two stage rotation. What you want to do is kind of pull the get the aircraft's nose come off the ground a little bit, let accelerate, start pitching up a little bit more, and then you feel the aircraft come off the ground. And when it comes off the ground, then you start pulling back even more to your pitch target out attitude of um, about 15 degrees, um, nose up. And anyways, uh, that's um, that's how you the aircraft actually comes off the ground. Now, as far as landing the aircraft, um, you know it's it, you gotta you gotta kind of land it flat pitched. You don't want to pitch up more than about you know eight degrees, which is actually pretty high nose up. I mean, about ten degrees where I think the the 900 will contact i think it's 11 we don't have to know these numbers by the way uh 11 ish degrees for the 800 in about 14 degrees 
for the 700, which is no longer going to be on property. Uh, so I'm, nev- I'm never actually going to get to fly the 700. But anyways, uh, so you know, you kind of come in a little bit of a little bit of flare. You know, about 30 feet, you pull the nose off. You know, up a little bit, start bringing the power back, and then uh, just uh, touch the aircraft down very gently on the runway, which is what you always try to do, isn't it? Correct. We always want to have nice landings. Uh, the one one little bone I had to pick was that my first landings are at, at forty two hundred feet because we're up there in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, so the performance of the aircraft, especially the ground speed, uh, when you're in high altitude airport, uh, your ground speed is going to be a little bit higher, and that's the first thing I perceived. I said, "Wow, it seems like we're really going fast." Well. That's because we were. Um, so that we did several takeoffs, several landings, um, and you know a couple other things we did on that day because uh, we were really focusing on trying to get the the site picture down and trying to uh, you know get your takeoff and landings where they they'd be safe for the aircraft in the real real world. Uh, of course, now that we're in the Salt Lake City area. Uh, terrain avoidance, you know, get mountains out there. Of course, me, uh, little, little Dana hasn't done very little mountain flying. So it was kind of neat to actually just sit there on a VFR day and simulated and look around when my partner was working to see the mountains. Uh, although I've been out Salt Lake before, so I'm familiar with the valley. However, and, and it was, uh, it, quite interesting to say the least. Um, what else did we do? Oh yeah, that's right. Upset. Uh, so upset training. And what's what's that? So you put the aircraft in unusual attitudes, and when you're in unusual attitudes, uh, as you 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 you're in that attitude, you, you we're taught how to recover. Now we're not no longer used to be that we were taught how to put the aircraft into the unusual attitude, but they now have snaps for that, and that is uh, basically you take a picture. It's a picture in the system that puts the aircraft in a certain attitude, and then you have to. Uh, recover the aircraft uh, to a safe safe flying attitude and uh, that's what we call upset recovery um and then you know i talked a little bit about that we already have done go arounds and reject the landings at that point but now this is of course with the with um the um motion on so there's a big difference in that and kind of moving on because that was that was a busy day on day number number two uh, primarily I was working on landing, so, you know, I got it down. It wasn't too bad of a day. So I'll move on to day number three now. Uh, day number three uh, pretty much was a more of a uh, IFR type of day. Now we're going to get into the simulator and, and shoot some approaches. We're in the wonderful uh, capital city of Washington, D.C. We're actually actually over there, Washington, Dulles International Airport. Nice, long, three very long north-south runways and one northwesterly uh, slash southeasterly runway uh, in Dulles. And we were basically uh, shooting our approaches to runway one right at Dulles. And uh, again, the same same scenario we set up on the runway. We're ready to go and uh, air, airborne, airborne we go. Um, so we had a non-ILS approach where we had a, a localizer approach only. Um, and, uh, oh, I f- let me step back for one second. We had rejected takeoffs. So, you know, of course, as a first officer, the decision's not mine anymore. Um, it's the captain's, and it's just my job to make sure the aircraft's stopping, uh, making sure the flight spoilers, uh, not spoilers, the f- <laughs> I still have problems with it. Spoiler handle is not the proper term on this airplane. It's, uh... Uh, f- uh, sp- 
spoiler and uh, oh my god now i'm having a brain fart again uh <laughs> the uh, uh sp- speed brake lever i have to have to, i'm still having that 88 ism that's one of those 88 isms i'm really having a problem getting getting a pass so the uh speed speed brake lever um is um up that's my primary job when i'm on board make sure the captain has control of the aircraft um, so anyways, we are, uh, you know, one of the most dangerous procedures that we fly as a professional airline pilot is a visual approach, <laughs> believe it or not. So uh, we, we had visual approaches, uh, quite a bit on this day and, uh, figuring out how to, um, you know, do a three to one glide path, which, you know, us 88 guys, we have no problems with. It's the guys that are and girls. Don't let me say that just guys and girls. It's, it's just all of us. Um, have some issues with doing visual approaches because we just, uh, you know, get lazy and and sometimes we forget to do th- proper procedures and uh, when we're, we're just flying visually, so uh, it's uh, it's one of the most difficult approaches, especially in the simulator, uh, to do. And then beyond that, we ended up shooting some ILS approaches, and uh, let's see, and with that, we had some wind shear. Uh, so wind shear for predictive wind shear and reactive wind shear. So what's the difference? Predictive is when the uh, radar will tell you wind shear ahead, wind shear ahead. Use caution, wind shear ahead. Uh, I think if that's what it says. And then the actual warning is is uh, wind shear, wind shear, wind shear. When you get that warning, you're an actual wind shear. Um, and if you get that warning, yeah, it, that's a no joke. You're going, you're going to go, you know, as much power. Oh yeah. Speaking of power. Oh yeah. That's a great thing. I love to talk about that. The power in this aircraft on the 88 and nine, even to the 90 to uh, a little bit lesser extent, but yes, to 90 as well. You could not take the power and go firewall power. If you want firewall power, now you're doing all types of paperwork because guess what? You've over over attempt uh, the engines and yeah on the 737 you can firewall the power all you want it's going to just go all right up to its max power and will never over tempt the engines As a matter of fact if you have a wind shear it's a pyre up and then you continue on because you do not over speed or over tempt the engines so it's a wonderful thing um uh continue on yeah so that's wind shear, wind shear recovery techniques don't change the uh t- don't change the uh, configuration, fly through it, and once you are on the other side of it, hopefully, then you start your recovery procedure, which is just cleaning the aircraft up. It's just like a normal after takeoff or, you know, uh, go around procedure, uh, you know, configuration changes. So you get uh, that and the escape maneuver. So that's pretty much it. And we did a couple different uh, variations on flaps. Uh, this aircraft can do flaps is certified for flaps 15, flaps 30, and 40 landings. Now, the most common uh, uh, setting for landing on this aircraft is flaps 30. Flaps 40, if it's... um, I use the uh, acronym Hot High Short Shitty. Uh, That's been a good acronym for me for a long time. When you use, you know, at least max brakes or close to max brakes, you know, what's available to you in your your highest uh, flap setting. So, now on this airplane, it's... uh, uh, short and uh, did I say shitty ready? I'm sorry, uh, but it's a family show, folks. But 
that's how I describe it. Um, so it's if it's short and crappy, then uh, we'll use the flaps 40 and f uh, three auto brakes. You never use max on this aircraft. Uh, so anyways, um, what was it going? Oh, yeah. So flaps 15 is actually, we have to override the flap warning system. But that is a normal flap setting on this aircraft. And it lands. I had the experience in, in the real world of landing it as well. Flap 15 and it flies very nicely. Anyways, I hope you've enjoyed those uh, two modules that I've just gone over. In the next one, uh, my next recording, I'll go ahead and cover the last part of this. I'm a little bit over. I'm 11 minutes. So in, this, in the meantime, I'm going to send this back over to Jeff in the studio. Talk to you later, guys. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Dana. I'm sure that uh, our community will find that very interesting to hear all the stuff that you go through in training. And next time, don't swear so much. That's just gonna be, <laughs> it's a, it is a family family show. You need to find that. Uh, uh, that's, that's, they taught that on the 737, uh, aren't they? Family uh, show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. I'm sorry, part, Nick, of the, part of the culture over there? I think <laughs> yeah. they taught that on the 737. Well, the 737 guys are kind of a rough group, kind of like people like me, <laughs> old school. Well, I've, I've chatted to Captain, the other Captain Jeff, the old Captain Jeff, mm -hmm. the Colonel Jeff, and he's terrible, man. Oh, he's I know. Terrible. You know, like when he's on, on the show and stuff, he's just the gentleman, but you should hear the oh, mouth on that yeah. guy. Get a couple of beers down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he thought a drunken sh a sailor was bad. Man. <laughs> and certainly none of the rest of us are like that oh, at no. all. No. No, 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 no. Never, never. Mm -mm. I don't swear. Mm -hmm. I swear mm -hmm. I don't swear. All right. Well, this one's for Rick. This one's for Rick. Rick, um, are you ready? You're going to be on, yes, man. Okay, we're uh, oh, no. tackling Crush number four here. Uh, it's a little bit too complicated for the rest of us, so uh, we're going to let you try, uh, try this one. Uh, ABG team, I have a question, which requires some expertise, but you were the only folks I could think of. <laughs> uh -oh. not funny. It's your first mistake. So I wanted to give you a shot. As an aviation planner, we regularly work with airports to plan for their future, and of course, every airport wants to improve their instrument approaches. Hmm. Are you sure? Anyway, we have encountered something recently where the full capabilities of RNAV approaches appear to not be used by airlines. The RNAV approach plates include LPV, LNAV slash VNAV, and LNAV. The Do lowest the overlays yet? minimums, no. um, not yet. No, okay. Uh, the lowest minimums are the LPV approaches, but we have been told that most airlines are not able to fly the LPV approach. For context, an airport will have. LPV with a 300-foot ceiling, 1-mile viz, LNAV slash VNAV, 700-foot ceiling, 2.5-miles viz, and LNAV, 600-foot ceiling, 1.75-mile visibility. The FAA is not adding ILS to many airports, so the use of RNAV approaches is the best way to improve access. For example, it would not be difficult to add approach lighting to an airport and lower the LPV to a 250-foot ceiling, half-a-mile viz, without the cost for a full ILS. But if airlines cannot use the LPV, then the benefits are not realized. Um, so can you help me understand why airlines might not be equipped slash trained to perform the LPV and if there are plans to change equipment slash training in the future to make use of LPV? An avid listener, and again, this is from Kent. What do you think? Uh, what say you, uh, Miami Rick? 
Well, I think I think it it comes down really to just dollars and cents. But um, before we get into that, um, I want to explain a little bit about what an MV is and what the difference is between that and your just your run of the mill um, blast instrument landing system. Um, and I've I've actually flown LPVs and they're quite interesting. So let's 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 talk about what that what that means. So LPV stands for it's a it's a localizer. Uh, it's approach with a localized performance of vertical guidance. So basically, it's a uh, an RNAV approach and an area navigation approach, which uh, provides um, comparable accuracy to a Category One ILS. Now, the way an ILS works, you know, just your just your normal run in the middle ILS. If you look at the far end of the runway, you're going to see an antenna that looks like a fence, right? So this antenna puts out two signals two lobes one at 150 hertz and one at 90 hertz now the area where these two lobes intersect is called the null zone right and why that is relevant is because the receiver in the aircraft it can uh, detect whether it it senses the prevalent 150 hertz signal versus a 90 hertz signal so if it if it if it senses 150 more than 90 it tells you that you're uh you know you're displayed from the from from the uh, localizer in, in one direction if, and if it senses 90 over 150 it senses that you are on the other side of the of the of the localizer the receiver on the jet or on the aircraft as long as the as you're flying on that null zone and the 150 kilohertz signal is drowned out by the 90 kilohertz signal the receiver on the jet or the aircraft is going to sense that as being on center line, right? So that's that's how the the, the receiver on the jet knows that you're flying center line. So that's the localizer, and the localizer is the run the extended center line of the runway. Um, the way you calibrate the localizer on a runway is uh, you got to make sure that the width of the signal over the threshold is 700 feet, right? So you're going to move the antenna. Uh, close or far away to make sure that the, uh, the the gate over the threshold is 700 feet, so the, the width of that localizer uh, or full deflection. Now, localizer performance with vertical guidance is um, works just like a localizer, except it's uh, based off GPS. Now, the difference here is that whereas a localizer signal gets uh, narrower and narrower the closer you get to the antenna, the local the LPV approach signal is going to get to the threshold of the runway at 700 feet, and it's going to stay at 700 feet. So you're going to have a 700-foot wide corridor going down the runway. Now, the reason why... LPV approaches are um, so accurate is because not only are you using a GPS or a, or a global positioning global positioning system uh, satellites to to uh, to fly that approach, but you're also using what's called the wide area augmentation system, which really all it means it's 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 a very complicated system, but really all it does is it takes GPS signals. And it enhances them and filters them and makes them even more accurate in order for you to be able to fly that center line uh, with the accuracy of an actual ILS. Now, uh, the wide area augmentation system, it provides, uh, I think, something like it's under 10 feet or under 9 feet um, accuracy 95% of the time. So it's very, very, very accurate. 
And then as far as the vertical aspect of these of the, of the approach, because it's kind of like an ILS, the 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 vertical angle at which you descend towards the runway is coded into the flight management system, and uh, you you can't just fly this with a uh, barometric compensated GPS receiver on the jet, which is what what most uh, airplanes have. You actually have this using that filtered and enhanced signal from a wide area augmentation system to be able to fly that that three degree or whatever glide path that is precisely down to the touchdown point now why do airports uh why why aren't a lot of airlines allowed to use um lpv type approaches and as i said at the beginning it comes down uh, comes down to dollars and cents because in order for you to fly a particular type of approach it needs to be contained in what's called the uh, op specs or the operational specifications. And in order to do that, you need to dedicate, uh, you know, an airplane, crew, time, resources, uh, and uh, and money to uh, prove that you can safely fly this type of approach. And then once that, uh, once you've proven that, it needs to be included in those op specs, and that that takes time and money. And having so many operable ILS installations around the country, it really doesn't make sense for airlines to, you know, need to pay that extra money, at least now, to fly that type of approach. It, this, it, this is kind of um, um, similar to when GPS first came out and um, yeah, the, the transition from, from traditional VOR to VOR navigation uh was still the norm it took a, a little while for airlines to transition from that to flying um uh, gps defined airways so uh that's that's really it but I, I i do i do think and i do feel like like um as time goes on and the technology uh is is, is well it's not it's not proven to be uh, reliable or accurate but as as it, it it becomes apparent that it's actually cheaper to fly uh, LPV type approaches because you no longer have ground-based um, uh, equipment dedicated to this particular type of approach. So, so all you really would need, as as the uh, as the author of this feedback says here, to be able all, all you all you really would need to get to the minimums of a Cat One ILS, which is uh, what was it, that two hundred feet and a half a mile, is the approach lighting system required by ILS Cat One minima. If that makes uh, any sense at all, so that's so, really the reason why. Yeah, but basically, from the airport side of things or the ground-based side of things, this is actually a lot um, more cost-effective to put in those and develop those LPV approaches as opposed to having all the equipment for an ILS. So, correct? Exactly, because yeah. you're. I mean, there's there's no there's no ground equipment to maintain. There's mm-hmm. no ground because it, it, and and also remember a lot the 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 ILS equipment itself needs. To be periodically um um calibrated and it needs mm-hmm. to be maintained and it's and it's and it's checked to to uh, you know power failures or power losses and if somebody you know lands long at the localizer then you all of a sudden you find yourself without without an ils to that runway which which you know uh, happens uh you know every once in a while so by by having the, the beauty of gps navigation area nav um nav approaches the fact that there is nothing really on the ground that determines whether you can fly or not. It's all it's all it's all GPS. 
And as I said, by having the wide air augmentation system, which what that does, again, it just filters and refines that GPS signal, it gets you to one minimums, which is really what you want. You know? So without having all the, all, the, all, the, all the stuff on the ground that you need to fly that ILS. So. Yeah, so you also have to have it in the airplane. And many airplanes do. In fact, the airplane that I just got trained on has the capability of doing all that, except that it wasn't certified that way. So we are restricted mm-hmm. to that highest minimum, basically a non-precision approach minimum. Um, and they said that uh, there was another fleet at uh, ACME that had to do some other modifications to the flight management system and navigation system. And so at the, at the time, they went ahead and spent the money, and it's something like $5 million for every airframe. Mm. Uh, wow. to get it certified to go down to those lower um, ILS-like approach minimums. Um, and they were thinking about doing it with the 717 fleet as well, but then COVID hit, and they're going, mm, maybe we don't want to do that now. Uh, but uh, so it's the airplanes are capable, except that you have to get them certified. Oh, it costs yeah. a lot of money. And uh, so, they, uh, and as Rick mentioned at the very beginning, most of the places that we go, 99% of the places that we fly into already have ILS systems, CAT 1, CAT 2, and CAT 3 in some cases. So there's really no reason for the airlines to spend all that money because it's not really necessary for them to do it. And, and the really here is that- open thing, things up, up more on the um, GA side of things because mm-hmm. um, a lot of those smaller airports do not have or may not have ILS systems, but it's easy to set up a GPS or an RNAV approach. Um, and then you can, you know, a lot of GA aircraft do have something like a, something as simple as a Garmin 430 with WASP capability and that'll, mm-hmm. that'll get you there. And certification standards for those type of airplanes aren't the completely different, strin- yeah. as stringent as the uh, part 121 airline flying stuff. Right. And then I got to fly those LPV approaches back in the triple sevens because when, when, when I was doing it, uh, the airline I was flying for at the time was going through the, I guess the proven flights, I guess the proof of concept. To, to, to attain that certification. And interestingly enough, um, even those approaches are not, are not known as, are not called precision approaches, even though nope. they have vertical guidance. They're, uh, no, they're, LPV they're approaches is not with vertical guidance. Oh. Mm-hmm. Exactly, it's not precision. So precision is uh, not... Like this one here, uh, Savannah, I just flew in there yesterday. Um, you can see that that's uh, the same kind of a minimum as a Cat 1 ILS to this runway 1 down to 200 feet. But... It's still not mm-hmm. considered a precision approach. Then. Similar minima, but it is non-precision. Okay, Correct. interesting. Didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. See, you learn something new on the show every time you listen to it, maybe. Or at least I do. That's the idea. Most, I, I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute. What was that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Wrong one. Liz, what are you doing? APG. Or something. So, so it was like subliminal uh, messaging there, right? <laughs> Sorry, you hit the wrong button. <clears throat> yeah, right. Wrong button, she says. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what time it is? Yeah, it's uh, quarter past 11 at night. <laughs> no, 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 not your local time. <laughs> time in the show. <laughs> it's time for this week's installment of the Plain Tales, the old pilot's Plain Tales. And this week, the title is Orphid Ness. Did I say that right? Uh, I don't know. I don't okay. live there. Well, let's hear what you say. <laughs> The old pilot's plain tales. Orford Ness. It's a remote spit of marsh and shingle-covered land that sticks out into the North Sea. 
part of the chilly, windswept Suffolk coast of East England, Orford Ness stretches along the coast running from Shingle Street in the south up to Alderburg in the north. It lies around 30 miles south of the famous hamlet of Bungie, home to the Plain Talking UK podcast. The strip of land is almost completely cut off from the mainland by the rivers Ald and Orr, and can only be easily accessed by ferry from the village of Orford itself, or the single road precariously balanced on a narrow beach to the north. The name itself comes from Old English and Norse origins, Orford meaning cattle ford, and Ness referring to a headland. The significance of this isolated strip of rather unwelcoming land to a story of aviation doesn't really start to have relevance until the First World War. Before that, Orford Ness was a salt marsh used by local people for grazing their livestock and collecting gulls' eggs, until King Henry II built a fabulous medieval castle in the village as part of a chain of coastal defences. The spit of land itself was a considerable danger to shipping, and in the great storm of 1627, 20 ships met their end there, and eventually a lighthouse was constructed to warn mariners off the shoals. With its many tributaries, smugglers loved the area, but it wasn't until 1913 that it was put to a more legitimate use, when it was purchased by the British government's War Department. It took several years to drain the southern part of the King's Marsh, which then allowed the ground to be levelled to form an airfield, but by 1915 Orford Ness was ready to receive its first aircraft. The site was both remote and easy to secure, so when the War Office was looking for a secret location to experiment with equipment for the burgeoning Royal Flying Corps, it made a good spot to use. The completion of the airfield heralded the arrival of the Central Flying School's Experimental Flying Section. This was the start of 70 years of intense military experimentation, which, as well as leaving a variety of fascinating physical traces, has given the place a mystique of secrecy. The site's isolation, the surrounding flatness and its proximity to the sea were all considered important prerequisites, particularly when considering the dubious reliability of early flying machines. The RFC didn't want its planes falling out of the sky in built-up areas. The research carried out at Orford Nest during the First World War covered a bewildering range of projects. The boffins there worked on parachutes and aircraft camouflage. Indeed, the RFC's original dark green varnish was given the acronym NIVEN for Night Varnish Orford Ness. Experiments were undertaken to suppress the noise of aircraft engines and build a hydraulically driven interrupter gear to allow machine guns to fire through the propeller arc to match the German innovation. Experiments in night-flying tactics were performed, as well as the development of bomb and machine gun sights, parachute flares, and even an attempt to create artificial clouds. 
Despite the secrecy imposed, stories abounded about what was going on. On one occasion in 1917, whilst testing a new bomb site, a pilot released his weapons unaware that a strong southerly wind had picked up and his aircraft had drifted over the town of Alderberg to the north. Rather than falling harmlessly into the ness, the bombs, luckily practised bombs, a variety with no explosive, landed either side of a nearby Martello Tower, which housed an army detachment, neatly bracketing it. The garrison commander was incensed and immediately demanded that the pilot be arrested. In its early days, the mix of 600 civilian and military personnel there were housed in tents and wooden huts, with the aircraft kept safe in canvas hangars, but eventually they took over a local hotel to use as an officer's mess. Regardless of where they stayed, the unending need for innovation in the fight to improve the effectiveness of the Royal Flying Corps was paramount. Although it seems laughable nowadays, their work was cutting-edge, despite appearing to be rather Heath Robinson, a cartoonist famous for his satirical images depicting absurd contraptions. The experts there often had to make the best from whatever supplies they could get their hands on. The collection of slightly crazy British boffins there were very adept at turning their minds to whatever issue came up and the men around them seemed able to lay their hands on whatever was available and put it together to do the experiment. With raids on the civilian population by German zeppelins becoming a major concern, work was undertaken to find a way to bring down these monstrous machines. It was suggested that phosphorus bombs could be dropped onto the zeppelins from above, igniting the highly flammable hydrogen gas that kept them aloft. At Orford Ness, they also worked on developing depth charges, with a memoir telling the unlikely story of making these devices by filling cocoa tins with TNT. Apparently, to see an Oxford professor filling these tins by melting the high explosive on an old paraffin stove, smoking all the time and very often knocking his pipe out on the side of the tin, was always a little concerning. The range of ideas tested there was dizzying. Oxygen masks, electrically heated suits, aerial photography, navigation, night flying, leading to the revolutionary step of illuminating the aircraft's instruments, quick-release straps, bomb-release mechanisms, dive-bombing, armoured planes, and self-sealing fuel tanks, to name just a few. Despite the ludicrous failure to equip early RFC pilots with parachutes, Orford Ness did work on a parachute for pigeons. One would have thought that their wings might have served, but not so. The pigeon was still an important method of communication, and in order to keep remote outposts supplied with these brave little messenger carriers, they had to devise a way of using parachutes to deliver these homing pigeons in a wicker crate. Too small a parachute, and the impact killed the pigeons. But if it was too large, it came down so slowly that it was impossible to be accurate with the drop. 
scientists who would become world-renowned and in some cases shape the next war gained valuable experience at Orford Ness. These would include Henry Tizard, who would champion the invention of radar, Whittle's jet engines and the bouncing bomb, and stories I have told in previous tales such as Tizard's trunk. Frederick Lindemann, Winston Churchill's scientific advisor during World War II, also cut his teeth there. Churchill himself inspected work at the site, during which flying ace Albert Ball embarrassingly turned his plane onto its back when landing. He was calling in to check on the latest ideas. It was the remoteness and perhaps the harsh weather which prompted a particular camaraderie in those stationed there, and many people remembered it fondly, some even requesting to go back when they were posted away. A devil-may-care attitude may also have helped many to cope with the daily dangers staff faced. During a flight in a two-man plane to test air-to-air fighting tactics, a rather perturbed air gunner suddenly signalled his pilot to land as quickly but as gently as possible. It transpired that in his enthusiasm he'd been a bit careless and the tailfin and rudder were all but shot through. The whole thing was only held together by a couple of bracing wires. When the ground crew arrived, it was to find the two young officers sitting on the grass doubled up with laughter. It's unsurprising that the risks taken there led to some pilots being fatally injured, which takes me to the point of this story. There's a fine school, only a few miles from where I sit now, called Beedale's. One of its pupils was Oliver Byerley Walter Wills, and a look at the school records tells me a little about him. He was at Beedale's from 1906 to 1910, and his contemporaries, and many who only saw him as an old boy, thought of him as the life and soul of any merry evening in which he took part. The Beedale's Chronicle said of him, His powers of entertainment and merry-making were varied and endless. He never called himself a naturalist, but he had a knowledge of and an intimacy with earth and her beasts, birds and fishes, that Melampus might have envied. He was a lover of music, inspired by and in turn inspiring his friends in his singing and playing and research. Uh, He was at Trinity College, Cambridge, until the beginning of the war, and then joined the Honourable Artillery Company. From this fine regiment, he obtained a commission in the Flying Corps, and went out to France in 1917. There is little more that can be found on the life of Oliver Wills, but we do know that he was a brave and tenacious pilot. On the 7th of March 1918, the London Gazette, the traditional home of all announcements concerning military personnel, printed the following passage. Lieutenant Oliver Byerley Walters Wills, RFC, for conspicuous gallantry and devotion to duty. He carried out a reconnaissance on a hostile heavy howitzer emplacement at nearly 8,000 feet over the line. He descended to a height of 2,000 feet and carefully examined the position. 
Having decided the exact position of the gun, he successfully directed artillery onto it, securing a direct hit on the emplacement. For this action, Oliver was awarded the Military Cross. In 1918, he was attached to the Armament Experimental Station at Orford Ness, and it was whilst engaged on his work there that he sadly met his death, a few short hours before the armistice would be declared. He had been up with a pilot, one Captain Horatio Thomas Other Windsor, in the back seat of a Bristol fighter D-8030. The F-2B was well thought of as a reconnaissance artillery spotting aircraft, which could also serve as a fighter, being as manoeuvrable as many of the single-seaters of the time. Indeed, it remained in service well after the war. What mission Oliver had been on is unknown, but the record states that, just as they were landing, he stood up suddenly, lost his balance, and fell out backwards falling to his death. The accident remains something of a mystery, and was all the more tragic being so close to the end of the conflict. Oliver wasn't the last airman to die before the 11th of the 11th, though. Nor would he be the last to die at Orford Ness. Experimental flying has always carried a great risk. On the very day that peace would be declared, Second Lieutenant Alan William MacDonald was killed at Easton on the Hill when his Avro 504K stalled during a climbing turn and nose-dived into the ground near Stamford. In the same area, on the same day, the young Second Lieutenant Eric Barclay Jones spun his RE-8 off a low turn and was killed. Indeed, in the month before the end of the war, there were more than 100 fatal accidents that frequently killed more than just the aircraft's occupants. The causes were various, but spinning or stalling in a turn were very common mistakes and particularly deadly. At Old Serum, a DH-9 stalled and nosedived into the ground, killing the pilot two ground personnel, and injuring 14 when the bombs it was carrying exploded. Two children were killed when they were hit by an aircraft taking off from a field near Letchworth. In many cases, pilots overstressed their fragile machines, causing the wings to fold back and leaving them to plummet earthwards. With no radio or air traffic control, collisions were also frequent despite the uncrowded skies of the time. The value of Orford Ness, however, would continue to grow. Secret testing would carry on through World War II and into the 1970s. The site was selected as the location for the Orford Ness Beacon, one of the world's earliest experiments in the use of long-range radio navigation. In between the wars, the Ness was the location chosen to set up the first experimental systems that would become known as radar. Having proved the technology there, Robert Watson Watt and his team moved to nearby Bordsey Manor, where they developed the chain home radar system that would provide so vital a defence to the country during the Battle of Britain. 
The 1950s saw the development of atomic weapons there, when the Atomic Weapons Research Establishment took over part of the site. The odd-looking concrete structures, called pagodas, can still be seen there. These intriguing buildings contained pits, into which the very large early nuclear bombs could be lowered by enormous cranes. Once in place, the bombs were subjected to vibration, g-force and extreme temperature tests to ensure that these fearsome weapons could be carried safely by the growing fleet of V-bombers that the RAF were bringing into service. Among the atomic experimental sites used at the time, Orford Ness is perhaps the most architecturally dramatic and remains the only one allowing general public access. The work finally ended there in 1971. Our American cousins also made use of Orford Ness. In 1968, work started on the top-secret Anglo-American System 441A, an over-the-horizon radar project, codenamed Cobra Mist. The project was set up to carry out several missions, including detection and tracking of aircraft, detection of missile and satellite launches, fulfilling intelligence requirements of the time and providing a research and development testbed. An integral part of this project were 18 strings of antenna in the shape of a vast open fan. The fan was accompanied by a large aluminium ground net covering some 80 acres. Stories grew up around Cobra Mist, claiming the research was actually centred on capturing UFOs, these stories often originating in the village of Bungie. By the 1980s, Orford Ness was home to more peaceful exploits when the BBC took it over to place powerful radio transmitters there which would broadcast the BBC World Service around the clock to continental Europe. The World Service would eventually be replaced by the old pirate rock radio music station Radio Caroline, which transmitted from there, but now Orford Ness is owned by the National Trust and is open to the public as a nature reserve. The public can wander around the strange structures and wonder at the history of the site. Perhaps they also think on the short life of Oliver Wills, one of the very last pilots to die in the First World War. For anyone who visits the area, he's buried and honoured forever at St Bartholomew's Church in the village of Orford itself, under a gravestone based on Oliver's own design. He designed his own gravestone? Apparently, yes. He designed it for a friend, uh, but also was hoping it would be used for himself. So, uh, yeah. Well, what I really, really... Oh, I should probably... Turn the lights on? Turn that. Yeah, I should turn the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little dark in here. How could you see to push the buttons in the dark? <laughs> I was just feeling around, <laughs> as I do, um, sadly. Uh, so the, what I got from that is two words. Pigeon parachutes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that That's cool. exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> 
That was I so just keeping a running list here of things. <laughs> wow, a lot of lot of interesting stuff there at Orford. 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 Orford Ness. Yeah, Orford Ness. I didn't even know the place existed. I was what I was looking for was a poignant tale about someone who died. And I think, you know, if you're gonna die in a war, you wanna die doing something heroic in a great battle. I don't know, that's that's kind of what I imagine. I yeah. don't think it's really like that. But um to die in the last few hours of a war just seems pointless. Mm. What a waste. So mm. well, that's what I was the story I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So I found this chap and I went and we died at Orford Ness. What's that all about? And of course then I discovered Orford Ness was this secret site mm. that uh, not only did it start in World War One, but went on all the way to uh, the development and experimentation uh, with nuclear weapons. I thought, well, that's an interesting place. So I just kind of put the two together. Uh, but really, I was looking for a, uh, a subject that was suitable for Remembrance Sunday, which is happening this next, uh, well, uh, I don't know quite whether it's this weekend or the following weekend. It's the 11th of the 11th anyway. Mm. But um, no, the site itself, because it's one of the very few um, sites of this nature that's open to the public, of course, uh, it it has brought a lot of interest, uh, particularly, and and of course, um, some conspiracy theories. Mm. Mm. I'm sure. (laughs) Area 51, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, it's not really our area of fifty one. <laughs> it's it's like a you know a really remote shingly spit of old marshland. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I just love the fact that a lot of these conspiracies come from Bungie. Yeah, mm. well, a lot of conspiracies do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it is actually renowned for dreadful, I mean, chemtrails, I'm sure, started in fungi. <laughs> dreadful <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Those, those, those do exist, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can't talk but, about those, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't tell people that. Do we? Yeah, we couldn't. Yeah, we better. Yeah. We already had a briefing about this, Rick. Come on. We've said too much. Yes. <laughs> Well, you, if if someone knocks on your door now, I'd be very careful about opening it. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> well, that's the last time we've had well, Rick on the show. Nice knowing you, Rick. Yeah, yeah, well, nice. Nice. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well, just got. Oh, where'd he go? Oh, well, they got dear. him. Damn. Poor Rick. Did yeah. not see that end coming. Well, let's not <laughs> let's not dwell on the. Oh, 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 wait, look at the Never mind. It was there. It was uh, it was a breach. It was fine. Uber eats <laughs> but he was wearing a trench coat. Hmm. No, oh, and nothing right, else. Very English. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> That's okay. very English uh, as well. Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to worry about you, English. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, now, it's a bit Steph. Late now, Steph. <laughs> You're just mm. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Oh, no, I'm, I'm worried about Sorry. Jeep drivers, considering some of the feedback we've been getting. Well, yeah. I don't know if we're going to get to that one today or not, but, uh, well, let's just oh, do it right now. You because we, uh, yeah, where is it? Uh, let's see. Come on, Jeffrey. It's number 12. <laughs> Thank you. Um, since you've kind of, uh, segued in, um, Liz, um, you know which one, don't you? The uh, Jeep um, picture from Larry. Yeah. Uh, He says, uh, you may want to bring this up. 
Tomorrow is drive your Jeep naked day. Pass it on. When did we receive this this feedback though? Uh, that was a while I think ago. I missed it. October twelfth. Yeah, we ah, missed it. Dang, did, did you miss it? Stuff? There. Did you? Yep. Ah, Definitely shoot. missed it. Oh well. Although I think I was probably driving. Actually, I was driving a Jeep that day, but not my Jeep. Well, <laughs> he would have said something about it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is that like uh, going on the New York subway without any pants on? Oh yeah, the pants free day or pant pantless day or whatever they call that. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Someone let me know what day that is, so I do not accidentally travel to New York on that day. <laughs> you know, I saw some video, and it was like, oh, no big deal. I mean, it was like... Just underwear. Yeah, yeah. just underwear. It was like, oh, okay. Like, you're in yeah, there. Just People who are worried about that did not grow up uh, swimming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more than, a, than that, I'm sure. Okay. We won't get into that. Well, why don't we go to this one, uh, item number seven, mm-hmm. and... Um, Let's see. Love the show. And oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Liz. I'm so sorry. What was that? That was my collection again. Is that part of your <laughs> private collection that you just put accidentally put on there again? Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry. I got distracted. Oh, it's very red. I didn't get a good enough look at it. Can well, you, let's can see you? that again. Oh, uh, oh, 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 wait a minute. Oh, we see the is uh, election map. results. Uh, yes. so. There's a red it's state. Far more boring than that. <laughs> All right, let's be serious. Love the show. I have had a lot of time the past couple of weeks to catch up on episodes since Hurricane Sally destroyed the Pensacola, Florida area while I was in town for an aviation safety school. was looking forward to getting back to the left coast at the end of the week when a friend checked the National Hurricane Center website and saw that the two major storms are already brewing in the Gulf of Mexico. And that's what we're looking at here, not Liz's private collection of stuff. Um, and, uh, that kind of scared me a bit and, uh, let's see, this was sent in October 1st. So sometime in early to mid October is when, uh, these two storms were barreling into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, keeping my fingers crossed. I can get out on time, but worst case, more time huddling indoors, listening to, listening to APG. Thanks for all the great work on the show. Fly safe. You never know what is floating around the friendly skies these days. Yeah, you never know what's floating around. <laughs> yeah, Strange really. times indeed. <laughs> I'll be floating around these skies uh, in the next few weeks, so watch out. I don't think you said who sent that in, That Jeff. was Eric. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Or E-S. But Eric. here at the APG, we use real names. Eric. I so. was going to say, has he been writing to... Uh, Probably. We're getting more and more of those scoundrels. Maybe he's Sean. Yeah, Yeah, that might be. I'm wondering. Oh, yeah. Liz says maybe that's Sean. You know, the guy. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Find Mm -hmm. out, I guess. All right. uh, Moving to item eight from George. He says, uh, hi, Jeff. Two things. One, tell Dr. Steph my shoulder is cold, but the invitation is still active. All right. I'm going to take you up on that, George. Yes. And item two, regarding critical engines, here's how the FAA defines it. The critical engine is the engine whose failure would most adversely affect the airplane's performance or handling qualities. And then he gives us a link to the FAAsafety.gov. And I'm not going to do the whole URL there. We'll have that in the show notes if you want to look at it. Miami Rick had an excellent explanation, but... When he mentioned the Cessna 337, Uh-oh. the Cessna Skymaster, he implied that there's no critical engine because both engines are center-lined. Au contraire, 
Although there is no critical engine due to P-factor, there is a huge difference in performance between the front and rear engines. Specifically, there is a 2,000-foot difference between the single-engine service ceilings of the front and rear engines. And uh, let's see if you'll put that um, up there so everybody's reminded of what a uh, Cessna... 337 or the military version which we have up on the yeah, uh, video push me pull you it's an o2 yeah. and that's what the u.s air force calls it he says i had two assignments instructing in o2s the military version of the Skymaster, out of patrick air force base in florida oh did you know uh, major nelson and genie because they were uh, <laughs> down there at patrick air force base right coco beach yeah genie she yeah. was pretty she was she was hot Anyways. I guess you get a lot of P factor flying one of those. Um, the the airplane, <laughs> okay, the pilot. All right. Um, one hot day over Avon Park Gunnery Range, I lost my rear engine. On that particular day, the front engine only engine a single engine service ceiling was around one hundred feet. <laughs> <laughs> but he said i lost my rear engine which i guess is worse i i jettisoned oh, yeah. the rocket pods and headed toward the unseen avon park airfield i was about 1500 feet when i lost the engine and with the rear prop feathered and flying at drift down speed i was descending about 200 to 300 feet per minute nothing but trees below me getting ever closer oh. finally the edge of the tree line came into sight and the runway materialized lined up directly Ooh. in front of me I left the front engine firewall, lowered the gear, and touched down on brick one. Then I pulled the front engine to idle. It was not skill on my part. It was divine intervention. Yeah. The Cessna 337 has a critical engine. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But when when I meant critical engine, Uh, I mean, of course. The classical. I I was was talking about the amount of rudder required to maintain them. Uh, directional controls right. we were talking about. That's what we this all one will just about. take you to the site of the crash. Yeah, exactly. So basically, <laughs> uh, it was almost a, a situation where we would never have been able to listen to clear, uh, ready for takeoff. Ready for takeoff. Uh, the wonderful oh. podcast that George Nolly is the host of, and he's also an author of several great aviation-related books. You should check it all out. George Nolly, just do a. Um, a search on Google for his name, and you'll see all that great stuff. He's a very talented young man. All right, thank you, George. Always good to hear from you. Very nice. Uh, let's skip absolutely. To, let's skip to ten. Speaking of wonderful young men, um, Captain Nick, you want to take this one, item ten? Absolutely. Just got this from Graham Fig, uh, Captain Nick. Mission accomplished this morning. Completed the one thirty five dot two nine nine. Yeah, and that's, it looks like a frequency to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm I'm guessing 135 some American classification part 135, type of airplane you fly. Yep. And the yeah. 299 is something else. Don't now finally it. officially requalified as Captain G4. Uh Adria of the FAA checked our new company check airman Sean check me so i guess he had an fia examiner checking the check yeah, man so who checked him part 135 uh, point, uh, 0.299 of the code of federal regulations is line checks for pilots in command excellent okay so uh, well we can see by his shoulder that he now carries the very heavy weight of four stripes so captain congratulations that's absolutely fantastic um 
Way to go, Graham. I don't know. He was with us in the chat room earlier. Hopefully he's still there. I'll hope so. Exactly right. And of course, uh, Jeff and I both know uh, um, Graham because he has visited us both. In fact, he came to Farnborough and we had breakfast together. And then a few days later, he was back in the States and uh, hooked up with uh, Jeff. So he's well known to the crew now. Yes. Uh, apparently, Chuck uh, and Sean um, wrote uh, a note in the back of my logbook, too. Uh, the route was a short one. You guys will have to help me here. K-F-R-G, mm. K-F-O-K, K-F-R-G. So, uh, K-Frig, uh, K-Fock, K-Frig. <laughs> what I'm saying. Don't know the middle one. Helps a lot, thanks. <laughs> Marvelous. Uh, Why does anybody have any K-F-R-G? <laughs> K-F-R-G. K-F-R-G. Staff is quicker. With a, no, that's not right. Um, KRP it's, in Cincinnati. Um, no, that's not it. Oh, hold on. West Hampton Beach is KF, okay. KFRG is in New York. It's Farmingdale. Oh, okay. Yeah. Farmington? Yep. No, Farmingdale. Farmingdale. Oh, and Long Island. Mm-hmm. So, on Long Island. Yeah. Just uh, oh, east of And what about JFK? It is, according to this flight plan, it is 36 nautical miles to the east. And it is. What? He flew a full 36 nautical miles. Wow. What, Oscar Kilo or Oscar Charlie? Oscar, Ki- Oscar Kilo. Kilo, it says. Oscar F-O-K. Kilo. It's West Hampton Oscar. Beach. West Hampton. West Hampton Beach. Oh, right. Okay. Ah, was, yeah. Very nice. Well, it was a short one indeed. I don't know if you had time to lift the gear. Um, weather was at minimums for both RNAV GPS approaches. Well, if mm. you can do an RNAV GPS approach, uh, that's brilliant. If you do one at minimums, you're a bloody hero. I wonder yes. if you well flew done. an LPV. Exactly. Probably did. I it's was wondering a, that G four that he flies has all that fancy equipment on it, so I'm sure. Yeah, it's it very easy wizzy and very mm-hmm. pointy. Uh, very impressed. Yeah. Challenging <laughs> conditions, but a positive group team effort. Oh, you see, there's Captain Material. He mm-hmm. doesn't take the uh, the congratulations and the the uh, on on his own shoulders. He shares yep. it amongst the group. Uh, well that done. is modesty, not false modesty. Yeah, exactly. But a positive group team effort leading to a great result. Oh, and there's a lovely picture of him. Uh, he's uh, holding a, uh, a, a coffee mug or a tea mug, which says the boss. And all that means, as you're well aware, Graham, Bruce, is that Bruce you King. now carry the can. <laughs> and that's the can you're carrying. So anything yeah. that happens, down to you, mate. Well done. Yep. Congratulations. Enjoy the new paycheck. Well done. Very good. Congratulations, Graham. Excellent. Absolutely. Look forward to meeting up with you again when you're back in town. Oh, yeah. Give me a shout. I love breakfast at Farnborough. Tiffany's. (laughs) Yes, that too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, let's do uh, number 13 uh, from Deanna. Uh, She says, I took a much-needed weekend getaway to New York for the sole purpose of visiting the TWA Hotel at JFK Airport. In case anyone doesn't know, the hotel is located in the old TWA Flight Center near Terminal 5. The decor is 60s retro, designed to make you feel you're traveling during the golden age of air travel. As I type this, I'm lying in bed in my hotel room watching airplanes push back, taxi, take off, and land. There are floor-to-ceiling soundproof windows with an unobstructed view. Earlier, I was watching the runways from the heated rooftop pool, which allows you to hear the aircraft. It's heaven for an aviation enthusiast. 
The hotel itself lacks some luster. The reception area is relatively uninviting. Food options are limited, and the red retro carpet is dingy. But overall, it is definitely worth the trip up here and the money. I've spent some previous feedback about flight training. Unfortunately, it is on hold indefinitely. Cost was becoming an issue, and COVID caused my work stress and hours to increase to the point where flying and studying just wasn't practical. I still always make time to listen to APG, though. Thank you, Deanna. Uh, She says, amendment to my previous post, you can actually hear the aircraft engines through the glass in your room if podcasts aren't playing in the background, but they are very muffled. I'm enjoying a second day of watching aircraft from my room. It's rainy today, so it's a good day to stay indoors. And just a reminder, Deanna um, is a veterinarian in the town very close to the university um, that my youngest daughter attended in North Carolina, Elon University. And uh, I believe, what is it called? Brun, Brun, not Brunswick. Um, Burlington, I believe. Burlington. North Carolina. Sorry, it helps if I unmute myself. Burlington. Very pretty place. Yeah. It does look impressive, but um, yeah, I can can see that they perhaps need to uh, think about filling some of the spaces. Yeah. No, I think they're going for a minimalist look, actually. Maybe that's why they're trying to be um, historically accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the good point, old terminal. I was looking mm-hmm. at the spaces between the paving stones by the pool, actually, mm. but not to worry. Oh, by the pool? Oh, oh, actually, there's a lot of stuff up on the um, rooftop up there. There's oh, quite so a you few were there, chairs right? and stuff. I've been there a couple times, actually. Yeah, all oh, right. It's a very cool okay. hotel. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very interesting. Well, thank you for your trip report, Deanna. And uh, hopefully, one of these days, when all this dies down and things get back to normal, you'll have the resources to resume your flight training. Indeed. Yeah, good luck with that. All right. Um, any suggestions, Liz, from here? Um, why don't you do um, 14 from Nick? Okay. Another Nick. Well, let's do item 14 from Nick. You mean Nick um, Anderson? or No. No, this is a different Nick. Okay. Well, there um, are lots of Nicks out there. There Nick, are Nick. a lot of Nicks. Uh, hi, Captains Jeff, Nick, Rick, Dr. Steph and the real chief in command, Liz. Oh, that's why Liz wanted me to do this. (laughs) She said, I love this guy. (laughs) I'm a recently new listener since early 2020. I want to begin with thanking you all for keeping a smile on my face when it comes to thinking about the airline industry this year. 2020 was starting out as such a promising year, but has ended up turning so many lives upside down. I'm a tech. Technical engineer for Acme, 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 Britain, and have seen a change in the industry like nothing I've ever experienced. I've said goodbye to far too many colleagues this year. I started listening to your podcast driving my weekly three-hour commute to London, and now you're keeping me company working from home trying to remember what the inside of an airplane looks like after seven months. So far that I would like to send my heartfelt thanks. I now feel like your old friends and listening brings a high point in my week. Here's to many more years. Yes, here's to that. Here's yeah, to my empty wine glass. Lovely thing to say. Cheers. 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 It's not been all doom and gloom this year, though. And last week, I finally achieved my private pilot's license. Hooray. I'm now eagerly. Oh, here we go. Okay, uh, let me play this. Hooray. All right, way to go. Good job. Cheers. 
All right. Well uh, done. There we go. We'll stop that. Um, I'm now eagerly awaiting for the postman to deliver my license so I can get up and use it. I also wanted to share an article I found uh, from flightglobal.com. Um, the Wiz A321 left out of balance by seat allocation mishap. Of course, we covered that in the news section. Um, and uh, ask you uh, ask for your thoughts on this. Where does the where does the pilot's responsibility end? Should they be looking to see if everyone is sat roughly where they should be? In my job, I've experienced A321s being ta- too tail heavy on deboarding from the front, and the nose oleo overextending, but have never heard of it during flight. Again, thank you, and there will be a donation to the coffee fund once I've recovered from paying for my flight training. Blue skies and tailwinds. Nick B. Thank you very much, Nick. We appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, well done, mate. Well done. Um, so re- our responsibility, we kind of sort of touched upon that on the when we were covering into the news, but uh, you know, you know, sometimes we get in, up into the flight deck slash cockpit and we don't really have a chance to go back and, you know, walk around the cabin of the aircraft before departure. So um, it's not uncommon that we would never notice that everybody's sitting in the front. Right. Yeah. I mean, put, uh, getting an aircraft airborne uh, commercial airliner is very much a team job. Mm-hmm. And whilst the captain might want to, set eyes on every aspect of how his aircraft's being prepared is practically impossible. So, you know, you do have to rely on other people doing their job properly. And so you have a team uh, that work for you, uh, prepare the aircraft, and they end up closing it all up. Uh, you're not there to see all the panels close. You're not there to see the refueler has done his job, the waste management bloke has shut his door. Um so you, there's an awful lot done on trust, uh, and that's one of the aspects of aviation that I like very much in that mm. it's very much a team effort, and no one who comes on board and does a job on the aircraft is unappreciated. And a good captain tries to uh, e- and make sure that, that filters down through the crew, although yep. he can't speak to everyone. He tries to make sure that everyone does feel appreciated, but equally everyone has to know that their job is vital because it only takes one person to be inattentive and uh, things can go wrong. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, you can't do everything, but you do your best to make sure that it is done properly. Precisely. And uh, and also what you can do is you can, um, as far as as far as far your your, uh, your cabin crew is concerned, you can make them part of the loop. So remember, mm-hmm. when I used to fly passengers um, during the uh, pre-flight briefings, I used to tell them that... Uh, if they see anything that seems out of the norm or 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 or, or hear something or see something uh oftentimes they're the first ones to notice there's a problem going on to let us know um so that uh you know we can use that as a method of threat negation so uh um but but exactly as Nick says you know a lot of this stuff is 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 is, is done on trust that you trust that uh, everyone is doing their job properly because if they're if, if they're not, uh, it could uh, it could uh, make for a very bad day. So, uh, but again, as we said at the beginning of the show, uh, everyone sitting up in front of the airplane did press, but uh, apparently it didn't. Yeah, and uh, I always stress, as you do, uh, I'm sure Nick did, and you do, Rick, that um, they're as much a part of the team as anybody else is. And don't assume that 
you know, we know what's going on back there. You know, if you see something out the window or smoke or whatever, you know, you, we, we don't know. Uh, don't assume that we know. We may know, but we might not. And uh, so it's very important to ensure that uh, everybody is included, inclusive. Um, you know, we were talked about on an earlier show, 445, um, D.B. Cooper. There was a podcast mention, I believe, um, about that. And um, I don't know, uh, Liz, if you can find the uh, little cartoon. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> from from our favorite cartoonist our uh, side yeah, yeah larson um what's his first name uh, gary. gary larson yeah thank thank you um the uh, you'll have to look at the show notes or the video to see this but uh, there's a little um uh cartoon of uh, what was it, the untold ending of db cooper uh, and then there's a little sign here that says ben and vera's rottweiler farm and there's a, somebody with a parachute and a briefcase full of money uh, just about to touch down into the pen of Rottweilers. It was not a pretty ending for D.B. Cooper. Um, that's why he's never been found, huh? That's right. And mm-hmm. that's why that guy right there sitting on the porch is a multimillionaire. <laughs> he, seems, he seems very disinterested, but he's like, I right know now how this ends. Yeah. But yeah. not long after this photo was taken. <laughs> He was much happier. All right. Um, I don't know if you all saw this one or not. Uh, item 11 from Sean. He says, well, I looked through the pilot's operating handbook, the POH, and doesn't explicitly say where you can and cannot start the aircraft. The POH does say, quote, make sure footing is sure to preclude the possibility of feet slipping. And so there's a little video that we're going to play right now of a guy hand propping a J3 Cub in flight. Turn the fuel on, Logan. Yeah, I guess. Thank you. Turn on the fuel. Can you turn the mags on? Yeah. All right, can you, you can you go start the engine? You got it. Keep going. Turn yeah, it yeah, you got it. I mean, put it in the lower. Thanks. This was real and it was not staged. Wait a minute. <laughs> not staged. Yeah. So well, he yeah. really did climb out with a rope tied to him, but but tying the rope to the belt, the belt. loop, um, like just you, with one uh, little yeah. You know, I don't. Not really the most secure yeah, knot I've ever seen. Well, yeah, and have, what do you normally do that if you fly a J three Cub, um, not knowing that the engine's going to fail and you're going to hand prop the thing? And no, of and course. then you get your phone out and film it. Yeah, and film the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, Instead and the acting. I'm going to. I'm going to have to have to say is like maybe C plus to B minus. Not convincing. <laughs> that's the official APG review. Yeah, that's our review. Yeah. We're going to give it 50%. <laughs> At least. Wait, did somebody say 50%? Oh, wait. Here, let me get this closer to the mic. There we go. Just yes. A minute, oh, just a minute. Very good. Nice. Very. And the actual battle. There we go. Guaranteed. Yay. 50% guaranteed. <laughs> All right. That's a great way to end the show, isn't it? The 50% Absolutely. guarantee. <laughs> love it it's what the people come for that is what exactly the people come for and we have a lot more that we didn't get to, to uh today's show uh but uh we'll just you know move that to the next one and uh, continue to uh send in 
feedback and be a big part of our show, whether it be uh, via feedback or uh, monetary contributions or whatever, um, you know, be involved with us because uh, we really appreciate everything you all do and we love you. And uh, let's see, if you want to learn more about the show, there is a website that we have. And um, what's the uh, URL again? Airlinepilotguy.com. Head over to airlinepilotguy.com. You sure? You- yeah, I, well, I, let me look it up. 50% uh, sure. Uh, let's okay. see. I think. Hang on. Oh, look, got, there got it a, is. I got it. Okay. Oh, is somebody putting that on the. Uh... Yeah, it magically oh, appeared. So. Okay, good. All right. I'm, I was I'm looking. doing my job. Thank you, Liz. Uh, yeah, where you can go and you can find out more about the show. The, uh, we have um, a list of podcasts. We have APG on YouTube. APG Crew, where you can learn more about the crew. Plain Tales, of course, a great place for you to find more information regarding the old pilot's Plain Tales. Lots of good stuff there. APG Library, our librarian Tiffany, up in Buffalo, New York, uh, manages that for us. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, Coffee Fund, information about that. Uh, APG Store, merch if you're interested in wearing some Acme Air stuff. Um, A way to contact us. uh, A calendar to look at... um, APG related events and hopefully we'll start being uh start being able to fill that calendar more as things start getting better hopefully and uh, so much more and we're also on the social meds hey we are you can still find us there uh we are on facebook facebook.com slash airline pilot guy we are also on twitter at APG crew our instagram handle is the exact same at APG crew and we would really, really, really like to see you on the social meets. Uh, great community interaction going on there. So please join us. And if you'd like to get even more involved, you can check out Slack. Slack? Well, I think we, I don't, I'm not sure. I didn't check earlier. Um, let's see if we can turn on the uh, hidden microphone. Um, let's see. Okay. Oh, I'm starting to hear the shower. Hey, hello. Hello! Slack time! Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Well, that's okay. Come over here and talk. tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you very much, Hillel, for doing that for us. We, uh, you can go back now into the uh, into the. D- doesn't he leave puddles on your floor? He, he he does, but I have a lot of towels. I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Thanks for the warning. All right, <laughs> yeah. he's very considerate. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, and uh, thank you, everyone, for hanging in there, not abandoning us during this little break that we've had. Uh, we've really, really missed you all, and hopefully, you have missed us as well. And we continue to keep going full force now from here on out and uh, you know continue listening to us and reviewing our show and all that stuff and uh, yeah we really love you and uh, until next time wishing you 
clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. Oh, wait, before we do that, we have to acknowledge somebody who is very important to uh-huh. our show. And mm-hmm. oh, man, I'm sorry that I almost missed who, acknowledgement. Me? What again? Of oh, our... no, sorry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Liz. So modest. Liz is our producer director, oh, does Liz. a lot of work uh, behind the scenes. She's yeah, awesome. And she has a new puppy. She does have a new puppy. Yeah. That's right. Puppy. And uh, yeah, so uh, we'll puppy, puppy. We uh, hope that she'll. Uh, and she's been managing Poppy while doing the directing of the show. And uh, so thank you, Liz, for everything. You are uh, much loved by all of us on the crew and everybody Yay. in the community. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy 